0: and welcome to another episode of Real Lit Books, Booze, and B-movies with your favorite tipsy cuties!
1: Uh, The show where a college English professor talks to you about the really boring English classics but makes them not boring because she's drunk And it's fun.
0: I have a fidget spinner.
1: (laughs) And where me, your uh, resident cinephile here at Allentown Presents, talks about some shitty B movies while also drinking heavily. So uh, enjoy this basically classic literature and movies for dummies that we present to you now.
0: Yeah. (laughs) What she said. Listen, let the record just state... I just knocked a shot, and she's not imbibed a shot this night. So when I inevitably am the less coherent one, we're going to remember that. Remember that? No one's going to think poorly of me in response to it.
1: Well, I feel like (laughs) Sam's calling me out on my (laughs) the fact that I'm not drinking as much, but I'd like to point out that she's drinking a Mike's Hard, and I'm drinking... (laughs) <laughs> A mixed drink that is literally fifty percent vodka.
0: Points are made like vodka <laughs> So fight me. <laughs> points points are made There. So hello guys. Um this is probably not oh, that's in order sequentially but if it just so happens to be in sequential order and that is just a crazy random happenstance if it occurs but if it does you might remember last time that I said we were going to be covering last of the mohicans this episode we're not doing that this episode um because I underestimated how much I hate last of the mohicans you can (laughs) choose a different book you don't have to do that one until I started trying to cover it again yeah um no For sure, this is voluntary, which is obviously why I am not doing it, because I don't fucking want to. That's fair. I do also, like, want to, like, cover things, not necessarily just because I like them, you know, like, kind of the whole premise is to talk about classic literature, so... I do still plan on covering probably Last of the week Mahe- I'll get to it eventually. Um, That's it was, fair. It was just not something that I was up for in the last um, uh, break since <laughs> we uh, recorded the last episode because lots of stuff happened and um, I hated it the first time I read it and I hated it the second time I read it and there was a reason that I didn't read it ever again and so trying to reread it for um, note-taking this time – proved very difficult when I had, um, very little, uh, fucks to give (laughs) for it.
1: You should just get the Sparknotes version and, like, Sparknote, the Sparknote version.
0: The, there is, there's something inside of me that is a pride thing that, being an English instructor, I feel like I cannot just go to the (laughs) Sparknotes. Which is silly, because I would not hold my own students to this standard today, but I hold myself to a higher standard. I mean, (laughs) good for
1: you, because I for sure used Sparknotes when I was in school.
0: Oh, yeah. For sure.
1: Um, You know who is never going to read Walden Pond? Me. You know who
0: should ever read Walden Pond? No No one. one. (laughs) (laughs) Walden
1: Pond sucked. Classic literature that sucks Walden Pond. Just 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 <laughs> from start to finish.
0: <laughs> this take this down now. get us get your stenographer. you have a stenographer on standby obviously if you're listening to this podcast. get your stenographer, listen to it right now. Hi, my name is Sam. I'm an English instructor and this is your permission to never have to read Walden Pond. It sucked. It sucked. This is direct. Uh, it's a it's a thing you can take to the bank. It's like a doctor's note, except it's from an English teacher. You hand yeah. it to any of your English teachers, they're gonna be like, ah shit, I can't make her read it. <laughs> sorry,
1: oh uh, sorry to the ghost of Henry David Thoreau. Like, I'm sure you were a cool dude, but. It
0: should be taught in schools. You had a great time out Trust. there. You did.
1: You had. A, you were having a f- fucking
0: fantastic. I'm so glad you enjoyed your time out there mm-hmm. in I the wilderness. I didn't need
1: to read 400 pages of you enjoying a lake. Like yeah, I'm no, good.
0: No, nobody, nobody cares. But but I'm very glad that you had a good time. Well, <laughs>
1: old English teachers cared.
0: <sighs> <sighs> Today, so because we're not <laughs> covering last of the Mohicans or because, Walden Pond or Walden Pond, which. I know. I just, I could gave a whole like diatribe about how I'm going to cover all the things, even no, things that I don't like. No, um, I could tell you what happens in Walden Pond. We're not. We we may I, never get to that. <laughs> I
1: could give you the whole synopsis. It's like three sentences. He's in the woods and he's having a great dude, time. <laughs> dude goes to a cabin in the woods and he sits by a pond and he ponders the life.
0: Yes, for four hundred pages. He becomes one with nature. Fuck it. He enjoys it It and he doesn't want to go back to society. One sentence. Yep. Summary for you. Yep. Anyway, today we're covering shit that is actually entertaining. Um, we are going to revisit, uh, the fun ever, uh, ubiquitous and unending well of fairy tales today. We have covered, so far, fairy tales from the Brothers Grimm. We've covered, so far, fairy tales from Hans Christian Andersen, Legendary Bicon. Today, we are going back even further. We are going to cover some fairy tales from the person that even predates Brothers Grimm. Uh, His name is Charles Perrault. So, today... I am going to teach you about this um, really uh, hoity-toity French guy who wrote a lot, wrote down a lot of folk tales, and uh, tried to make them fancy ass because he was essentially very, very. Um, he was essentially a punk. He was like all of the old people were like literature should be formal and. Very didactic and and sophisticated, and then there was a bunch of new kids on the block, basically in this time in France specifically. I need to say this is a very French thing, <laughs> just FYI. And there was a, a the ragtag new uh, kids on the block who were like, "Man, fuck the system. The you know literature doesn't always have to be like that. Literature so- can be." Oaky and so literally funky. us five
1: minutes ago, where we're like <laughs> shitting on Walden Pond.
0: So, so uh, Charles Perrow was uh, very much of that punk category. Uh, let's get into him, and then we're gonna cover some of his fairy tales that you will definitely think you are familiar with until we go over them. So, I have a guess at one of them. Pearl was born on uh, January 12th, 1628. I, I'm i not very happy about the fact that that's so close to my <laughs> birthday. Um, weirds me out a little bit, but given the fact that I am obviously born in 1628. Yeah. Um, she's a witch. <laughs> uh, How do you know she's a witch? Cause she looks like one. <laughs> <laughs> they
1: put this nose on me. <laughs>
0: Oh, so he was born in January. He's a Capricorn. He's living his best life in Paris. He, I mean, literally living his best life. He is a wealthy, rich kid. He is in a bourgeois family. He is the seventh child of his parents, Pierre and Paquette. Oh, my Paquette. God. Paquette.
1: stop having sex. Pierre and
0: Paquette Perrault. That's just, Peter Piper picked a pack of pickled peppers. <laughs>
1: also French, Yeah.
0: <laughs> Uh, so Pearl was wealthy, so he had a great life, he attended very good schools, he studied law, um, he, uh, had a career in government service, basically, um, he was a part of the creation of the Academy of Sciences, um, as well as the restoration of the Academy of Painting in france uh in 1654 he moves in with his brother pierre the pierre jr obviously Uh, pierre jr had purchased essentially i mean seriously purchased a a job position of chief tax collector in paris uh because that's just what wealthy people do they just buy Um. their ways into wherever they want and so he moves in with his uh, chief tax collector brother. And April, 1667, he was actually able to get one of his other brothers named Claude uh, appointed to um, a committee of three, which was called the Petit Conseil. Um, this included also Louis Vau, Charles Lebrun. Um, they designed the new section of the Louvre, the colonnade, Um, This was built, obviously, between 1667 and 1674. He has, like, this strange rival with um, the designer of uh, the colonnade, (laughs) essentially. Um, And it's a very strange mess, but, like, uh, they kind of basically just have to deal with it because King Louis um, really, really essentially liked Bernini and he ordered this um, royal bronze portrait medal and uh, it was in honor of Bernini this happened in like 1674 so despite how much uh, Perl really did not enjoy Bernini um, whatsoever he kind of had to just like bite his tongue because you know when the king likes someone you like that person (laughs) even though you don't you do Later on, um, Pearl writes in his memoirs basically saying like, oh, in secret, the king really did not like Bernini. Um, But, um, you know, he had a rivalry. Let's just take anything that he says here in his own personal memoirs where he gets to dictate everything with a grain of salt. Yeah. In um, 1669, He advises King Louis XIV uh, to include the 39 fountains, each representing one of the um, Aesop's fables in the labyrinth of Versailles, in the gardens of Versailles. Uh, This work was carried out between 1672 and 1677. Um, He actually, uh, Perlte actually um, wrote a guidebook for the labyrinth that was printed by the royal press in paris in 1677 it was illustrated by sebastien leclerc uh, who was very potentially one of his um, one of his family members considering his mother uh, her maiden name was leclerc like i mentioned at the beginning here he was in he was involved essentially in what was um, called what we call the Choral of the Ancients and the Moderns, which sounds so much more epic than what it really is, basically. Um, Essentially, as I kind of (laughs) sillily put it earlier, people who were um, fans, basically, of antiquity literature, like ancient literature, basically, or how the olden people do it, Um, and then there were the people who um, supported essentially the the modern types of literature which was heavily kind of linked to louis the 14th basically um he was a huge uh kind of proponent of the the modern side of this uh battle it's it's so silly there's just a bunch of scholars that are pissy it's like you know when you're in a fandom And you've got an OTP, and then you've got people who have their other OTP, and there's the two rival ships in your fandom. It's ship wars. It's it's just ship wars, but English edition. (laughs) English class edition, basically. Uh, In ancient, or excuse me, in uh, old France in 1682 pearl retires at the age of 56 people um believe that he was forced to retire um by one of his bosses basically uh this is just what is believed we think this is probably what happened because um after he's gone he actually signs the task to one of his own sons this boss of his um basically and uh in 1686 pearl is finally in the mood to start writing things and he writes epic poetry Um, and he starts being super christian and starts writing um, you know like christian biographies basically there's a whole um, there's a whole genre of like saint biographies that occur in um, literature and he becomes like a huge part of it and Mm -hmm. writes one about um, saint paulinus basically Mm -hmm. And uh, we believe then he dies in 1703 in Paris around then at the age of 75 or so. So in 1695, this is when he's about 67, this is um, when he was like, okay, I am actually going to dedicate myself basically now to uh, literature and specifically children literature. So he publishes the tales and stories of the past with morals the subtitle of this you will find very familiar. This is referred to often by its subtitle as The Tales of Mother Goose. Oh, nice. Mother Goose um, has never really been identified as a person here. Um, what the kind of prevailing theory is, is that it's, it's essentially just kind of meant to um, almost personify the kind of like rural proverbial storyteller character of folk tales, you know, the old grandmother who in the corner, yelling, you know, knitting and yeah. telling all the kids, the stories. It's kind of that feel um, that he's just kind of, we believe this is the prevailing theory. He's just trying to personify there. Um, and almost anthropomorphize, you know, uh, a huge common theme is having, of course, animals be talking and uh, involved in uh folktales and fairy tales in humanistic ways. I so, love mother goose. Yeah. <laughs> so that is a uh, parrot. I actually for you. had a mother goose when I was a
1: kid. Oh. So they in the early 90s, late 80s, early 90s, they released the original Teddy Ruxpin. Um and I had one of those where you like put the tape in his back and he would tell you stories. Um Well, I also had a mother goose and it was a white goose and she was wearing like a little blue bonnet and her mouth moved Yes. and underneath her wing, like one of the wings is just like a flap, like a cloth flap, but basically, and you would open it up and put in the like stories of mother goose. Like she came with a set of like fairy tale stories basically and would read them to you. Nice. It was awesome. I love that thing.
0: Uh, My grandmother, my maternal grandmother, not our shared grandmother, but, um, my other one, uh, we referred to, we called her, um, Goose, uh, or Granny Goose or Granny, uh, her great-grandchildren actually mostly referred to her as Goose, I was the generation where we called her Granny, but her full reference, we all knew her, um, growing up as Granny Goose, uh, and, uh, I have a Goose tattoo on my thigh, in her honor, may she uh, rest in peace and rest in power. Uh, wonderful, wonderful woman. And uh, terrifying. She would u- She used to, um, she had dentures, and uh, we would beg her, beg her to do this. And she would only do it every once in a while, no matter how much we would beg. Would yeah, be just, you can't do it all the time. Uh, not all the time, but every it once in a while. It loses its magic if you do it all the time. Every once in a while, she'd go. She'd grit her teeth and, like, shove her lower jaw out and pop her dentures out so that her teeth, like, stuck out of her mouth. And it was the most terrifying, badass thing ever. That that is terrifying. And we would all scream and be revolted. And then we would just beg her to do it all the time. (laughs) Um, She's great. I have a wonderful picture of... um, in her uh, later years, uh, around uh, maybe a couple of years before she finally passed, uh, I have a picture of me with her, and she's making that face. I caught her in the act of it, but unfortunately, all of the parts where it's actually popping out are blurred, and the only one that has a good um, resolution is right before. So she's making essentially like a like a oh, like a gritting her teeth face. It's yeah. it's very. Very metal and very goose. Fun fact, Perlte actually, when he published this, he published it under his son's name, uh, Pierre Junior Junior, at the state, basically. He did it because he's a pussy little bitch and was very worried, basically, that the ancients of his, um, uh, you know, French rival ship war were going to just, you know, piss all over him. And so he decided to put his son's name on it instead. And um, essentially, he is, you know this, you know, of course, Tales of Mother Goose. In those Tales of Mother Goose, he's most notable, like, he's most remembered because of this. Nothing else about his life. Um, He's often credited as essentially the founder of what the modern fairy tale genre is. Uh, And his work is... Um, retranslated and reconfigured by Grimm. Uh, Anderson definitely um, was a scholar of Peralt's, for sure. He uh, put down the classics that you will definitely know, like Sleeping Beauty, which is what we are covering. He uh, puts down Puss in Boots and uh, a bunch of other fun ones. So today we are going to be covering two of his very notable works Uh, sleeping beauty will be the second one we're going to fit in a fun little short one first we're going to cover Little Red Riding Hood not what I was expecting nice just for reference the versions of these um, the translations essentially of these Peralt Tales um, I have own and have read and essentially reread for the purposes of this episode from a um, folk and fairy tale compendium that I have edited by Hallett and Karasek, Martin Hallett and Barbara Karasek. And uh, I actually got this book um, when I was in my when I was getting my undergrad. Uh, I had a children's literature course, and this is one of my textbooks that I had. Um, and it's a great compendium. I highly recommend it. Um, I'm definitely actually going to be covering lots of other things from here um, because a great thing about this um, compendium of folk and fairy tales is that it actually um, includes fairy tales from um, around the world and kind of groups them into their similar categories. So um, you get, you know, Peralt's Little Red Riding Hood, but then you also get in that little section a bunch of other tales from around the world and modern retellings of that story that are very similar to the little red riding hood tale so you get to see kind of the multicultural like similarities uh of these sort of folk tales and you also get to see um the way in which people reinterpret them and kind of um you know use them for their own purposes as time goes on and uh, changes, you know, the focus and the morals and, um, the themes that go along with these fairy tales and play with, um, you know, the template of what a fairy tale is, basically. It's a great, great compendium. Highly recommend. So without further ado, we are going to jump into tale one of two tonight. This is Little Red Riding Hood by Charles Perrault. So you will not buy Charles Perrault. He wrote it down. It was probably by someone that he very, you know, took advantage of and wrote down their, their uh, tall tale. So Little Red Riding Hood. <sighs> so there's a little girl, but you got to buckle up for this. I'm just warning you because um, you think you, what you think I'm gonna tell you is probably what the Brothers Grimm version is. The Brothers Grimm version is bad enough. This one, <laughs> this is its predecessor and it's shorter and it's worse. It's just so much worse. So we've got a little girl. She is adored by her mother and her grandmother. And her grandmother makes her a coat. And it, it, she specifically makes her granddaughter this coat um, in a fashion that is older more fashionable, more sophisticated, like an older lady would wear um, because she wants to honor her granddaughter that way. So we are already um, putting some interesting uh, sophistication and uh, upscaling the age factors here on this girl, this child. She wears this cape, this sophisticated coat, Um, that is very high in fashion that the much older young ladies would wear. She wears it so much that she gets a reputation for it that people call her Little Red Riding Hood. Uh Granny gets sick, as we all know, probably. Uh, So her mom makes some cakes and some butter, and she tells our Little Red Riding Hood, go take this to your grandmother's house. And she's like, yeah, I can definitely do that. Like... <laughs> she's already she's already pulled the tea. Time out, I'm out. <laughs> Red card. Why Red card's it, been thrown.
1: Why is it when <laughs> granny gets sick, she gets sent cake? But when I get sick <laughs> I have to eat chicken noodle soup and crackers.
0: <laughs> the fuck is this? When you're old. You're old, man. Fuck it. I don't give a shit about my health. I'm going to die soon anyway. I'm going to eat all the fucking then cake why I send want. Her, then why send her anything? I <laughs> don't care. Don't care. If you're
1: like, fuck it. She's going to die anyways. Feed her some cake. At least make her happy in her last moments i, mean, I guess <laughs> i want cake when i get sick i mean i'm an adult now i guess i could just make that happen but like fair how shitty is that for kids By to like way, hear this and yeah, be like if there's anyone oh, yeah. out there granny got sick she got cake you get sick you get chicken noodle soup and stay in bed and you get to eat horrible <laughs> drink horrible horrible grape robotussin.
0: you're sorry welcome. about it um. Maybe if you're lucky, I'll make you a homemade slushie with some diet caffeine-free Seven Up.
1: Yeah, maybe. <laughs> maybe you might get like a ginger ale, a, some ginger ale with a scoop of sherbet in it. Maybe. So, if your throat's fucked up.
0: <laughs> by the way, if there is anyone who is listening to this who is under the age of college, first of all, um, I'm under. sorry. Um, second of all uh, I'm not sorry it's okay just don't ever say these words that you hear me say you know around adults I guess Um, but yeah when you hit college just so you know you can eat whatever you want whenever you want yep fuck societal norms do you want to eat cake for breakfast lunch and dinner you can do that I did that one time you're going to hate yourself but I I did that one, t- but you. But it's it's like a rite of passage. Yeah. You got to do it because because you can.
1: Yep. I'm old enough. I can just buy a whole cake and eat it to myself if I want to.
0: There are no rules. The there the no rules. rules of society are arbitrary and meaningless. This is, yeah. the, is the moral of this.
1: Just so you grow up to be big and strong. <laughs> to eighteen, and then we
0: don't give a fuck about you. So eat whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Granny gets sick. Mom's like. All right. Loren, Cake and butter. Here's some Dean. Here's some butter. Go to Granny's. She's like, got that. Thanks, Mom. Will do. She's walking down the road into the forest to go to her granny's house. And there's a wolf and the wolf sees her. And the wolf wants to just eat her right there because the wolf is very hungry. He hasn't eaten for three days at this it's point. It's a wolf. But there's some woodcutters around. So he's like, god damn it, I can't just, like, jump on this little girl right here. Because, like, people will see me, I'll get killed, ain't about that. You're a wolf, you could just drag her body along with you into the woods. Well, he's like, he just goes up and he's like, hey, what's up, what you doing? Strikes up a conversation. Because he can
1: talk, oh yeah. Yeah,
0: exactly. And, uh, he is like, where you going, right? And she's like, oh, I'm going to my grandmother's house. She's sick. I'm bringing her some stuff. She is. She. It is stated in the, in the narrative. She does not know that talking to strangers is just not a good idea.
1: Because it was the 1600s. What do they so know? So
0: she's like, "Oh yeah," just tells him everything. Basically, this is where I'm going. This is what I'm doing. Here's yada, my grandmother's address. It's basically. Yeah. And uh, so he is like. Oh, well this oh, is an interesting story he was like so he makes this a game and he's like hey i bet if i take this road and you take that road i'll beat you you want to race want to race to granny's house and she's like you're on bitch and because she's a kid and kids love games and Which so is why so many people get kidnapped and he's like perfect because he's 1000% pointed her down what he already knows because she told him where his granny where her granny lives. So he knows where that house is now in his head and he's he's pointed her down the longer way there and he's taking the shorter way. So she goes the long way. He goes the short way. He gets there first. He knocks on the door and pretends to be little red riding hood and granny is like who is it? And he says, you know, it's your granddaughter. And he gets in, basically and convinces the granny to let him in because he knows all the little details about what's going on from what Little Red Riding Hood said. Well, I brought some cakes and some butter and mom sent me, blah, blah, blah. I'm wearing your little cape that you gave me. And she's like, oh yeah, absolutely. Come on in. And he comes in and he eats the shit out of granny. Immediately. Remember, he hasn't eaten in three days. So after he eats granny, he gets in the bed and he waits. Little Red Riding Hood comes up to the door. She knocks on the door. And now he pretends to be Granny. And he's like, oh yeah, come on in, sweetie. And she comes in and he's like, just just put, just put the, the food over there at, next to the hearth. And come on and get in bed with me and, and lay down with me in bed. And she's like, okay. And puts the food down and takes her clothes off. And gets in bed. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. The looks. What the fuck? The looks that I'm getting. Why did she get naked? That's a great question. It's, It's a wonderful question. I mean, body warmth, I guess. So she lays naked in the bed with what she believes is her grandmother at this point. And... This is when she notices the little differences, the list that we know so well. Just FYI, the list goes like this in Peralt's version. She notices the arms, the legs, then the ears, then the eyes, then the teeth. And then she is eaten.
1: And in the normal versions, you don't get, they don't talk about her limbs. Or in, like, the Americanized version, it's like, Oh, Granny, what big eyes do you have? What big ears you have? It's because in have? the Americanized version, mouth? she's
0: not naked in bed with the wolf.
1: Yeah, what big teeth you have. All the better to see you, my pretty. All the better to hear you. All the better to whatever it is. Give you kisses or eat your food or some Random bullshit shit. that
0: he says. Yeah. No, yeah. No, she's lying in bed with this guy. So first she's like... I mean, it's a wolf. Your arms and rose. your legs feel very different, Granny. Yeah, I fucking bet they do yeah
1: so it's like it's gross that a child got naked like that there was a need for a child to get naked in this story that Peralt felt the need to put a naked child in the story but when you think about the fact that granny is an animal it becomes a little less horrible because like i'm sure maybe not kids But, like, in general, people go to sleep naked with their dogs or whatever in their beds. Like, it's not so weird. The weirdest part about it is that her grandma asked her to get into bed naked, and she did. That's the problem here. Like, her laying in bed naked with a wolf, her laying in bed with a wolf is weird. But, like, unless it's a werewolf. Is it a regular wolf or a werewolf? What are we talking about here? Or is it just a person dressed
0: as a wolf? So, here's the fun thing about Charles Perrault. He gives you a moral at the end of each of his tales. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: He tells you what the moral of the story is. At least he tries to. Yeah. Sometimes. This is the moral of Little Red Riding Hood. Children, especially pretty... Nicely brought up young ladies ought never to talk to strangers. Fair. If they are foolish enough to do so, they should not be surprised if some greedy wolf consumes them, elegant, riding hoods and all. Now there are real wolves with hairy pelts and enormous teeth, but also wolves who seem perfectly charming, sweet-natured, and obliging, who pursue young girls in the street and pay them the most flattering attentions. Unfortunately, these smooth tongued, smooth pelted wolves are the most dangerous beasts of all.
1: I mean, that's a good moral. That's a great moral. Don't talk to dudes. They're fucking creepy.
0: I mean, maybe not victim blame, but otherwise, yes, of course. However, this moral reveals very blatantly no, the wolf is very much meant to signify this is a dude, this is a predator. The child just got in bed naked with a predator.
1: So did, so when he says that he consumed the grandma, did he just like rape murder her? Like what happened? Or is he also
0: a cannibal? I am confused. It's a great question because that's the end of the story. The reason I read the moral is is because it's done. Because
1: it's only like two pages because all fairy tales from back in the day are only two pages.
0: Oh, that's so cute.
1: Not all of them, but a lot of them. Like, all of those fucking Grimm tales, and Cinderella was, like, a page and a half. Like, <laughs> how did you fit all that in?
0: <laughs> but yes. Yeah. So that's Little Red Riding Hood. Yeah, Ever not
1: all. not the version you grew up with in America, no. because it's definitely always an actual wolf.
0: Definitely not even the version... I mean, the Grimm brothers take a lot of liberty here. And... Definitely change it a little bit to make it at least a little more palatable. I mean, there's a lot more gore and horror in the grim tale, but there's not so very blatantly a, like, yeah, this is very obviously about sex and, yeah. like, you know, pedophiles. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like-
1: well, I feel like the, the version that I'm used to, like, the ones in all the, like, cartoons that I watched as a kid. Like, it was very clearly a real wolf, and it was always him actually trying to eat her. Like, he was... It wasn't a sexual thing, in the cartoons at least. It was always portrayed as him just like, I'm a wolf and I eat meat, so I'm gonna eat you. Because mm-hmm. he literally swallows Granny whole. Mm-hmm. And, the, like, in into the woods. Right. The wolf literally eats Granny whole, and then he Although. eats... Yeah, I know. And then eats Little Red Riding Hood whole. And they literally have a conversation inside of the wolf's stomach. Oh, yeah. Because they got eaten whole.
0: Right. And that's the whole point of... The the, Brother Grimm, the brother's Grimm tale, too, is exactly like that. She's inside him. Yeah. She gets rescued by a, a woodsman. Spoiler yeah. alert. We'll probably cover the Grimm's version at some point yeah. in life. But, like... Yeah, that relationship I'm very very positive that that was one of the reasons that Grimm made that change because was so to funny be reading. like let's just let's just make it a little bit more of a like this is a wolf. Let's just make it just a let's let's just put the so <laughs> put the moral just a little bit more embedded.
1: <laughs> so so knowing now that the moral of the story is meant to be both like two-sided, don't talk to strangers and also like Predators, pedophiles, and predators. Like, it made me think. I have really vivid memories of an old VHS that I used to own that was of the MGM, I want to say, cartoons that had, like, Droopy Dog and, like, all of these other things. They had a version of the Big Bad Wolf story in them that Mm. was. More similar, like, kind of, it forgot the, like, granny story completely. Mm. And it switched to kind of being predatory. Um, and it was a it was a horrible cartoon. It would not stand up today. Like, you could not watch it today right. without just being appalled. appalled by how horrible it is. But basically, it's set in, like, a nightclub in the question mark 30s, 40s, whatever time it was supposed to be. Oh,
0: so it is very, like, a modern tail of it yeah
1: interesting so set in a nightclub and little red riding hood is like voluptuous red riding hood she essentially looks like jessica rabbit except wow. all right except her riding hood quote-unquote is like a veil that she uses to cover her mouth and nose so all you see is her eyes and then her beautiful fo- like you see her form she's wearing like a like a sweetheart neck, like it's a whole thing. But she has this like little veil that's covering her. Why
0: is the exotic Because oh, okay.
1: she's like a dance. She's like a I dancer. Get,
0: I mean, I get it. I know why. Yeah, she's like. But I just have to say well,
1: it anyway. Th- <laughs> no, I'll tell you why at the end that makes, which is part of what makes it so bad. Um, but she's like a singer dancer, and the wolf comes into the club, um, and he's like. He's in, like, a suit, like, a pinstripe suit, and he's, like, drinking and chatting with his friends or whatever. A zoot suit. A zoot suit, yes. And then she comes out onto the stage to start performing, and he immediately has the hots for her, and he starts wolf-calling her. He's, like... You know, he's howling at her. He's trying to get her attention.
0: He's this like, is a, Wait, this is a cartoon. This is a
1: cartoon. He's got like heart eyes like coming out of his, you know,
0: his he heart's a, beating out of his chest. He's a wolf. He's a wolf in a suit.
1: He's an actual wolf. Okay. In a suit. Yes. Wow. Okay. Yes. And okay. you can tell that he's a wolf. Okay. okay. So he's like screaming at her, trying to get her attention. Like he's immediately falling in love with her because she's so shapely and whatever. Um, At the end of it, were in the middle of that song or whatever it is, she comes over because it was kind of their job at the time to come over and kind of entertain, like sing to the tables or whatever, like, and so she comes over and she starts singing to him kind of seductively, like, you know, be into me, whatever, give me money or whatever. And he's just freaking the fuck out, like getting more and more like worked up and crazy. And he is trying to convince her, you know, come, come with me, come with me, come with me. And she's like, no, 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 no. And eventually she gives in. She's like, sure, why not? Like, let's go. And they walk back to like her dressing room, whatever. And they're going to like start kissing. And then she lifts up her veil. And the bottom half of her face is what would be considered hideous. She's got like buck teeth and like crazy freckles and just like, it's a mess. Like she's She doesn't
0: a, look like Marilyn Monroe.
1: Yes. She's meant to look kind of gross.
0: Mm.
1: And the wolf is immediately turned off by this. Wow. But she is now in love with him. So now she's chasing him because he was so enamored with her. And it turns into like, they like flip it. So now she is chasing him and trying to get in with him. And he's like, no, 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 you're ugly. Get away from me. It's a whole fucking thing. But I can vividly remember this. It was part of an MGM Classics, like, set of cartoons that I had. And, yeah, it was a lot. But they kind of took the, like, horny predator situation Mm. from this and just built an entire cartoon, got rid of the cakes and the granny and all of that, and were just like, fuck it, let's go. Wow. Yeah. As it turns out, the 30s were horrible. A
0: lot. 30s, 40s, 50s, Cartoons are horrible. A lot of things that should stay in the 30s and not mm-hmm. return, <laughs> basically. Um, by the way, you mentioned Into the Woods earlier, and I just have to say it because of the fact that we're talking about all this predator talk of how predatory Little Red Riding Hood's story is. When I've been in Into the Woods several times. Theater kids, I know you hear me on this, because there's only so many librettos that... Apparently, middle schools and high schools can get when they're trying to get their kids to be able to do stuff. So, I've been in Into the Woods several times. When I was in the, Into the Woods in high school,
1: he <laughs> and Did my Is it the friends, kids' version or the regular version? In it's high the school? kids' version. Okay. Yeah,
0: basically, it's, which is essentially just the first act. Yeah.
1: Um, so. Less violent, less death. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh,. Before everything goes to shit, essentially, in that entire yeah. musical. Uh, when Little Red, so Little Red Riding entire song. <laughs> this is not funny. It's only funny to me right now because A, I'm drunk, and B, because I was the one who lived through it, so I have the nostalgic look through on here. But we were like, <laughs> we were in the back anytime the girl who was doing Little Red Riding Hood was singing it. She was in on it too, so it's not like we were making fun of her or anything. Um, But the whole song, if you've never listened to the the Little Red Riding Hood song in Into the Woods, after she gets rescued and cut out of the wolf, um, she sings this song about what she's learned, basically. And the entire song is just rife with innuendo and it's just so blatantly like you can't uh trust strangers you can't uh you can't uh you know take them at their word because I did this and then he drew me close and he swallowed me down down a dark slimy path Where will I see, Chris I never want to know. And I know things now, many valuable things. And, like, even the do not put your faith in a cape and a hood, it will not protect you the way that they should. And take extra care with strangers. Yeah. So much. Just so much. Anyway, uh, tales from the the time in your life when sex is funny. (laughs) A.K.A. high school. Red Riding Hood. We're now going to cover the second tale that I have for you today. This is The Sleeping Beauty in the Wood by Charles Perrault. Another story of a predator. How fun. (laughs) I'm so, I'm so ready to tell this because when I first read Perrault's Sleeping Beauty, which is the predecessor to the Grimm's One Um, And any other varieties from, you know, as far as we know, there are other tales that very heavily um, coincide um, and are similar to this. Um, But this is the predecessor of the one that the Western one that we would know today. Um, This is the oldest predecessor of that. And it is quite interesting when you compare it to what you think, you know, as the story of Sleeping Beauty.
1: So... Turns out it's not the Disney
0: one. Uh, No, no. Um, So, I mean, parts of it, but very small parts of it. Yeah. So, Sleeping Beauty in the Wood. King, there's a king and a queen. Yeah. They cannot conceive. And it said they go to clinics. They go to specialists. They go to, you know, basically witch doctors. They go to church and get blessings. They try everything in their power to get pregnant. Cannot happen for a long time. It finally does happen. And they're so ecstatic, obviously, that this is the party of the century now. So when she gets born, they're like, all right, we're throwing the christening party. Everyone's gotta be there. It's gonna be this humongous shindig. Um, She gets fairy godmothers because she's a princess, and princesses don't just get regular godmothers. They get godmothers that are fairies, bitch. And so, not just fairy godmothers, but they're like, we're going to make damn sure she's taken care of. We're going to give her seven fairy godmothers. That's crazy. And... It is a tradition that the godmothers, especially the fairy godmothers in a christening, will give the baby a magical gift um that essentially just sets them up. Yeah. So the christening comes, everyone shows up, everyone's excited, and then an uninvited guest shows up, Maleficent. And this is a fairy that is very pissed that she has not been invited. And everyone sees her and is like, oh, shit. Because they didn't invite her because they forgot about her. They forgot about her because she's been missing for, like, 15 years. She has been locked up in her tower, according to the narrative, and it's been 15 years. So everyone's been like, she's dead, or "She something's happened to her, but they've forgotten that she existed. No one's seen hide nor hair of this bitch until tonight. So she comes in and she's like, why didn't I get a fucking invite? And everyone's like, "Uh, you're alive? uh, Hello. What up, Mal? It's so nice to see you. Oh, my God. Wow, crazy. So they try to mend things over. And, you know, they're like, absolutely make room make room get her get her a table setting or whatever but of course because she was not planned to be here she doesn't get the finery and the like all of the like they don't have enough like they got all of them for the seven fairy godmothers and she, you know they have like gold place settings and a bunch of crazy extravagant dish, shit extravagant yeah. shit that she doesn't get cuz she was invited because nobody fucking knew that she was alive yeah but she's pissed so she's muttering under her breath during dinner because of this, and one of the fairy godmothers can hear her and is like, oh no, this bitch is gonna go off. She's gonna she's wildin'. Nope, go ahead. <laughs> she's wildin'. She's gonna do some shit. I have to make sure that I'm in a position to where if she later on tries to tries to pull a fucking fast one, tries to do some shit. I'm going to be able to fix it and make it okay and save the baby. So she just like goes off behind the curtains somewhere and hides this uh, one of the seven. The time comes for the gifts. The gifts are in this order. She will be the loveliest ever. She will have an angelic disposition. She will be graceful. And this is a this is graceful as in like life of limb here. So she's very she she would be poised, not just like in terms of demeanor, but in terms of actual like physicality, basically. They say she's going to be as graceful as a gazelle. Right? Uh dancing, singing, and she can play any musical instrument that she damn well wants.
1: Ugh. I hate
0: people like that. <laughs>
1: And we'll do it flawlessly. Yeah, I know some people like that. Bitches.
0: (laughs) I fucking hate it. I'm so jealous. And then we get to the bitch fairy. And she's like, yeah, she's gonna have all of that. It's gonna be great. It's gonna go to waste. Because she's gonna prick her finger on a spindle and die. It's not stated when. Oh, okay. Okay. All the American versions
1: that I've all the different movie versions I've seen are all specify that it's like on her sixteenth
0: birthday or something like that. But it's just yeah, that sucks for her because she's gonna prick her finger on a spindle and she's gonna die. So none of that's gonna matter for her, and everyone is like devastated. Obs, and so the last fairy, the fairy who hid herself away, pops herself out of the dumbass curtain and is like, okay, okay, hold on. Everything's okay. I can fix this, kind of. I cannot fix all of this, but I can fix some of it, okay? Um, She's got some powers over there. I can't exactly reverse this 100%. But when she pricks her finger, okay, she's not going to die. She's going to fall asleep. Just a little nap. She's going to sleep for 100 years. And then at the end of that 100 years, a prince will come, and he'll wake her up, and everything will be fine. and the king is like cool 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 um not exactly the best ending but i guess better than death sure so even though you've just saved her i still don't want a spindle in my house anywhere I, let's just let's just ban spindles let's just take them out of all of my lands basically and he makes a decree no one in any of the lands that he is king over can have a spindle ever. This is a decree, yeah? 16 years go by. There's your 16 years. Princess now is hanging around in the castle one day, bored AF, wandering around. She comes into one of the rooms that she's, I don't know, hasn't explored yet in 16 years in her large-ass castle, obviously. And there's this old woman in here who is using a spindle! And the narrative specifically says it's an old woman, so it's not like this is a new bitch that's been born in the last 16 years or something. It's an old woman, but she just didn't know that that she wasn't allowed to use spindles. <laughs> and she's in
1: the fucking <laughs> castle. Well, I mean... The king has to have somebody make his clothes and shit.
0: No! It's very obvious. No spindles. No imports only. God damn it. How did you not know the decree? Yeah. I called bullshit so hard on this. Yeah. But she doesn't know. So she's in this room in the castle where spindles are heavily forbidden. And she's spindling away. And... The child is, of course, like, what the fuck is that? She's like, it's a spindle. And she's like, can I try? And she's like, yeah, sure. And she pricks her finger and faints. And everyone's like, oh, fuck. And they try to revive her. Doesn't work. They try a bunch of shit. She won't wake up. When the king gets home that day, they're like, please don't kill us. (laughs) Basically. No, kill them all. And he is like. (sighs) Kill them all. So Kill that old lady because very upset. there's a
1: rule. Kill any servants who let that old lady into the castle. Kill any servant who. Where did is, the spindle come from? Who is was in charge of cleaning up the castle and didn't see that spindle and go, oh, maybe I should burn this. Like.
0: There's a royal decree from the goddamn king of, like, this entire countryside or whatever yeah. that these things are not allowed in here. The king is a beloved king apparently for a reason because he's much much more forgiving than i and he doesn't kill anyone in this scenario no.
1: <laughs> My daughter lived to be 16 and then you said it so she's going to be asleep for 100 I made years it, it was and a, i won't see her grow up because i will be
0: dead It was such an easy it was a very simple easy instruction Everyone's no spindles dying. no spindles <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand how that slipped through the cracks for you So he is very upset but he's like resigned he's like obviously i did know that this was coming no matter how much i wanted it to not happen so he and his queen they deck her out they you know make her resting place you know very elaborate and gorgeous and decorated and they get her all situated and nice in her um bed chamber basically and then they call the fairy godmother that made this in the first place that saved her essentially from death in this scenario and she is in a land when she gets this I don't know um like magic message who knows
1: magic message magic message she's in the
0: land called Mataquin or we're French so probably Mhm. uh she's in the land of Mataquin and she gets a magical message and they're like which is what the land of butter <laughs> and the magical message is like obviously this is from the king who um, yeah you're the godmother of my child yeah it's happened she's fallen asleep I need you to get your ass over here and she's like ah fuck she gets on a chariot flown by the dragons and the dragons fly her to this king's castle and she's like okay she looks around she's like you've done a beautiful job, this is wonderful, she'll, you know, she'll be very happy when she wakes up. But she's like, I don't want her to be very lonely when she wakes up. So she enchants the entirety of the castle. She enchants all of the people in it, all of the food, everything, so that everything, including the castle itself, just basically falls asleep with her on the spot. And she's like, all right, They'll revive with her. So that way, when she wakes up, she won't be alone. And the king is like, thank you. That's great. And so the king and queen basically seal up the castle and make a royal decree in their land that no one is to ever enter it now. It is forbidden to be entered. And they leave. Um, Because they're like, fuck this place. It sucks. It gets overgrown over time because it's left alone. So... It gets wooded and viney and all of that fun stuff, yeah? A hundred years go by. There is a new king in these lands now. And his son, the prince, is hunting in the woods. And he sees in the woods, kind of farther in the distance, these spires rising up into the sky above the tree line. And he is like, the fuck's that? And he asks around in the little village of, you know, the woods where he's at. They have a bunch of old wives tales basically. Oh, that's you know, it's this old abandoned castle it's where the witches go to perform their writs. It's where the, it's filled with a bunch of ghosts and uh, no, the ogres take the kids there to eat them from the deep dark woods but one old man says, no, I remember when I was very young, my dad telling me that that castle has a sleeping princess inside it. um, And she's waiting to be rescued. And the prince is like, sign me the fuck up. And he goes, that is actually I can't believe I didn't even look at that. That is the direct line that I wrote in my notes. Prince is like, sign me the fuck up. (laughs) So he goes to the castle. He gets to the entrance, and the shrubs actually open themselves up for him. And He's, like, convenient. And he walks in, and they close behind him. And he finds the whole place very eerie because everything is exactly as it was 100 years ago. They're all just still sleeping. Um, and it's. he walks through it, and it's a very eerie feeling because at first he doesn't know that you know he's walking around thinking to himself like is this been a massacre because everyone's lying on the ground it's a very uncanny valley feeling um and he kind of finally realizes oh no they're alive because they're you know breathing they're just asleep and he finally finds um the princess yeah and he of course instantly is in love with her quote unquote love with her and he falls to his knees next to her
1: she's asleep
0: right right (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> very clearly you, lust
0: you know nothing about her yeah. you never met her you've heard her say zero words she could be a hardcore
1: point. bitch <laughs> like you don't know
0: she wakes up when he falls to his knees in front of her and basically is like what took you so long I've been waiting such a long time for you and he is just enamored with her and they talk when she wakes up Everyone else in the castle wakes up with her suddenly, and everyone's like, ah, fuck, yeah, this is amazing. Okay, it's time, yes. But she and the prince are just talking away. They are lovebirds. They have so much that they need to talk to each other about. They talk and talk and talk all day until eventually the people in the castle are like, Okay, yo, bitch, I'm hungry. I haven't eaten anything for a hundred years. Let's get this show on the road, basically. And they're like, oh, fuck, sorry. Yeah, you're right. You're totally right. We should eat, basically. And so they have this huge, great festival feast, and they get married in the chapel of that castle that night, and they have a honeymoon where they bump uglies all fucking night. The narrative is very... Very assertive in stating she was not sleepy at all. You know what I'm saying? She didn't, she yeah, didn't she need a wink of sleep that night. She
1: slept for a 100 years. What does she nudge, need more
0: sleep for? So, essentially, the morning comes, the prince leaves, he promises he'll be back, he goes home. He does not tell his father, the king... Where he's really been? Ain't
1: that some shit? You got married and didn't say a damn thing to your fam, like.
0: So, he gives you know excuses that his father believes, but his mother, the queen, is like, "I smell sex." <laughs> Basically, I can I can smell something something going on, and she tries to wheedle it out of him, but he will not tell her. The reason that he has lied to his parents, in particular his mom, is because he is afraid of her, a little bit, because his mom is part ogre. Cool, 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 cool. Tight, 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 tight. He's like, I can't tell her about this because I just don't want her to maybe eat my wife, basically. So he lives a double life for years he is married to the princess and she stays in her former castle and he goes and bees with her and he like gives her two kids before his dad finally dies and he becomes king and he's like alright now that I'm king now she can't fuck with my wife or my kids at this point right so now I'm fully okay with Bringing her into the limelight. So, as king, he's like, I am married, this is my wife, these are our kids, and his kingdom was like, fucking great, we love it, and he brings his what you know, the new queen and um, his kids, which, by the way, the, is a daughter and a son, the eldest daughter is Dawn, the younger son is Day, and, uh, Creative. they're like three and four, or four and three or something like that. Yeah. And uh, he's like, well, you know, now that I'm king, um, obviously I got to do king shit. So let's start a war somewhere. And he has to go off and fight a war because that's what kings do, obviously. So he's like, hey, mom, got to go fighting in a war. Take care of my wife and my kids while I'm gone. And she's like, absolutely, my son, my beautiful Baby son, I will totally do that. Everything will be kind. I'll take care of things here. And he's like, great. And he leaves to go fight in the war. The minute he's gone, she's like, send that bitch and her brats out to a cottage in the woods, please. And they are removed to a cottage in the woods. And for a while, she kind of just like lets things lie. And then one day she says to her butler, I want to eat Dawn tonight. I want to eat her. And the butler's like, your granddaughter Dawn? She's like, yes, yeah, I wanna eat her for dinner, thanks. And the butler's like, it's a a good idea. And (laughs) the queen mother's like, I didn't ask for your fucking opinion, make me Dawn soup, basically. And he's like, okay. So he goes, but he can't do it when he gets to the kid. So instead, he takes Dawn and gives it gives Dawn to his wife, who hides her way in, like, one of the cellars of the castle, basically. And is like, I have to figure out what to give her now. So he slaughters a lamb in Dawn's place. And dresses it up and makes it all spicy and with a sauce and so it's so delicious when he feeds it to the queen mother that night that she doesn't even realize that it's not actually child that she's eaten yeah and she's very happy with herself and the you know queen at this point now is like where the fuck's my daughter no one knows no one knows. Question mark, question mark, question mark. A couple days go by. Queen Mother comes back to her butler and is like, today I'm feeling like I'm going to have day for dinner. And the butler's like, we're, we're going to do this again? And she's like, yep. Mm-hmm. I want him tonight. Thanks. And the butler is like, great. I'll get right on that. And he goes and he can't do it again. So he spirits Day away to his wife, and the wife hides, her, hides the son now in the cellar, and he kills a goat, I think this time, in place of the young boy, and does the same thing, and convinces the queen mother that he has fed her, her grandson. And uh, this satisfies her again for a while. And now the queen, the actual queen, is missing both of her children. And is uh, at the end of her rope, basically, and you know, devastated. And time goes by, and then the queen mother's like, "Yeah, my butler, my butler friend, it's time. I want to eat the queen. Yeah, I want to eat my daughter-in-law. So you gotta kill her. She's the queen. That's not how things work around here, bitch." You, the butler, tries. It is like. You know, the kids were one thing, but, like, people are gonna... I feel like this is just not a good idea. And the queen mother is like, I didn't ask for your fucking opinion. I'm gonna eat her. Do it. The butler now is like, what the fuck do I do? Because substituting stuff for a child is one thing. Having to substitute something that will convince the queen mother that she's eaten an entire-ass human being... Um, you know, is is very different. So at first he's like, "I'm gonna actually have to kill her. I don't know what else to do."
1: You need a deer.
0: So he goes, he goes to her and basically tells the queen, "The queen wants to eat you, and she's told me that to I have to kill you." And the queen, sorry, excuse me, I should say, the queen mother wants to eat you, my queen, and she's told me to kill you. I have to kill you and the queen is like just do it i'll be with my children they're probably dead and the butler at this can't do it now anymore and is like no they're not they're not dead i've actually saved them you know what i'm not going to kill you two we're going to figure this out and he has his wife spirit her into the same cellar with her children and she's reunited with them and she's you know of course very happy and he's like, you guys are just going to have to live down here now, at least until the king gets back, because I don't know what else to do. But he kills a deer and convinces the queen I was going to mother-
1: say, I was going to say, su- suggest deer, because they're big enough to, like, that's
0: how much meat would be on a human. Yeah. So he kills a deer um, and uh, convinces the queen mother again. And she's very happy with herself and is devising, like, the plan for how to tell her son, basically, like, what has happened to his queen and his children? Like, oh, yeah, they've just, they just, uh, they, they died in a really bad accident. I don't even know. It was just so, so tragic, it was so sad. I couldn't save them, basically, is her plan. Everything is cool for a while. They're living in the cellar, but unfortunately, one day, because kids just kind of get used to their environment, so they get more and more comfortable where they are. And one day they get a little too loud and the queen mother hears one of them and recognizes the sound of her grandchildren's voices and is like, what the fuck? And opens the cellar door and finds them and is pissed the hell off and grabs all of them and seizes the butler and his wife and has them all bound up and brings them out into the front of the castle basically at the town square let's call it that yeah and is like get me a big ass vat put a whole bunch of ravenous beasts in that vat these bitches gonna pay for pissing me off basically
1: again she is the queen mother no sleeping beauty is the queen how can anyone listen to this queen mother bitch like, that does not make sense. That's not how kingdoms work. That's not how the hierarchy of families work. Essentially, everyone is
0: basically terrified that she's just gonna eat them too.
1: So kill her. <laughs> she's an ogre. That's what you do with ogres. This isn't. But also, isn't the prince part ogre? I'm like, okay. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just waiting. at
0: this point. Let me the, just... At this point, the prince is yeah, like a quarter ogre or something like that so, for
1: sure. So like he needs to just roll up at just or the an right H moment. Ogre. Roll up at just the right moment and rip his mom to shreds. Let's ha- let's. It's get, funny you say that. Let's get to it. So
0: essentially, she's made this whole vat in the town square and is dragging them. You know, her daughter-in-law and her grandkids, and now the butler and his wife. And she's like, I'm about to burn all you bitches and eat all your asses. How dare you not let me eat you in the first place, I guess. And this just so happens to be the time that the king rolls up back from war. And it's like, What the fuck is this? Who's who, 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 who done this? Unhand them! What are you guys doing? And everyone's like, Sir. <laughs> and points to the queen mother. And the Queen Mother is so pissed that she's been thwarted in her plans that she just throws herself into the vat instead and kills herself. Mm. (laughs) And so, the King, this has happened very, to his credit, this has happened very fast for him. This is a, a lot of emotional whiplash. He comes home, his wife and his children and his butler are about to get thrown into a vat. He has to stop it. He learns that it's his mom who has done it, and his mom kills herself on the spot. This all happens, I don't know, what, in the course of an hour? So he mourns his mom, unfortunately, because he's, you know, it was his mom. And he only just learned that apparently she wanted to you know, eat the love of his life and his children. Except that's why you hid the love of your life away from her for years. But he doesn't mourn too long, basically. Because he's like, well, I got my wife, I got my kids. I'm cool. And that's the end of Sleeping Beauty in the Woods, ladies and gents. The moral of Sleeping Beauty in the Woods In case you were thinking to yourself, I really, really can't wait until Sam reads the moral for this that Pearl gave because I'm kind of having a hard time finding the moral here. A brave, rich, handsome husband is a prize well worth waiting for. But no modern woman would think it was worth waiting for a hundred years. The tale of the sleeping beauty shows how long engagements make for happy marriages. But young girls these days want so much to be married. I do not have the heart to press the moral.
1: (laughs) So before you even read the moral, I knew it was going to be some patriarchy bullshit because this story was filled with it. Yep. Filled. To the brim. Literally filled with fucking patriarchy bullshit she's so mad (laughs) you can see
0: her face
1: so okay like let's let's not even like let's forget about the fact that sleeping beauty could only be revived by this fucking magic prince who rolled up in her castle and that was the only way it had to be him Mm -hmm. and he had to like fucking cuz well, that's, in that's this obviously story, he, the
0: only purpose of a young girl's life in this story he marriage. just
1: showed up but in most stories he has, to, has to kiss, to kiss her, her yeah which is rape but true besides that loves kiss yeah
0: um, Should be
1: consensual so my honestly as much as i don't like the queen mother the biggest like patriarchal bullshit in this story is how she throws herself into a vat to die the second the king comes home and sees what is happening. That she was so fragile and overcome with emotion that she just had to commit suicide because she couldn't bear the thought of disappointing her son and her king. What the fuck? (laughs) She was literally about to eat. She's trying to eat her grandkids and her her fucking daughter-in-law. But the second this dude who's supposed to be, quote unquote, in
0: charge shows up. He can't actually know if she was going to be able to explain it away, then that's fine. She's totally fine with eating children, basically, on... The down low. Um, but uh, the men cannot know. At least the important men fucking cannot know. Outrageous. Out. Fucking. <laughs> outrageous.
1: You're welcome. So every version that you've ever read of or ever seen of Sleeping Beauty has been nothing like this. Nope. Uh, just so we're clear, most versions only have four fairies. There's the Green Fairy, the Blue Fairy, the Red Fairy, and Maleficent. Mm -hmm. And the three fairies protect uh, Aurora or Rose, depending on the version that you watch. Briar Rose. Briar Rose. Um, And Maleficent curses her, depending on the version that you watch. And that's pretty much the story. The prince rolls up. He saves her life. That's the end. Ta-da! Ta-da! They lived happily ever after, and that's all we ever so fucking easy. needed. There was not. No one fucking asked for this bullshit half
0: ogre. It's mom. the majority of the story. Like I, I can't even fucking explain to you how the actual story that that has has been the one this that stood has the lived test of time, this is yeah. the test of time it's a fraction of Peralt's actual story
1: <laughs> you, you, you literally got to the part where they like got married and like were They're happy like, and yeah, was, the rest of this and is... i was like cool like it's about to end and then you just fucking kept talking and i was like what the fuck is this bullshit when you so this it's is so like when wild. You were earlier
0: you were like yeah, that's because all the fairy tales are like a page and a half long. I was like, oh honey. <laughs> oh, honey. Awesome. This one is literally like seven pages long. Still very short. Very but short, but for a fairy tale standard, quite long. Yeah,
1: it's it's very long. Cause all the rest of them are like they're hella short. But that was a fucking mess.
0: <laughs> oh my
1: god.
0: Oh, I've been waiting such a long time to share. Charles Perrault's Sleeping Beauty with someone else. I have fulfilled something inside of myself tonight <laughs> that I have needed to fulfill for a long time. It oh, was a fucking mess. Okay, you're welcome, friends and family.
1: All right. Um. So fairy tales by a French dude were fucked up. <laughs> Jesus. Um. I watched something a little less patriarchal... Patriar- I don't know if I fucking say that word. Um, yeah, is it though? Is it though? A little bit. Uh, just uh, I, That's why I only said a little bit. There, there's, <laughs> there's, no, there's no rape in this. Fair. And Fair point. No one, mm-hmm. like, is so consumed with emotion because the man showed up that they throw themselves into a pit of dangerous animals, so... A little different. <laughs> so... <laughs>
0: This week, I thought I had the laugh under control, and no, I you put didn't. the drink up to my face. You did not. I did not.
1: Uh, so this week, I chose the DCOM amazingness that is Cadet Kelly. Oh my god. Now, oh my I'm sure god. many of you have never heard of Cadet Kelly, because it is a... <gasps> Thing you only knew if you watched Disney Channel in like the year 2000 or 2001. Like, yes. like you did not know about this movie if you if you didn't really watch the Disney Channel at the time that it came out.
0: As DCOMs go, it's not their brightest moment.
1: No. <laughs> so This is not the greatest DCOM. It is not even top 10, I would say, DCOMs. But this one did have a pair of disney starlets oh which was rare because most of the decoms. Oh, what's his ass in it god damn it, yes, what is his name sean ashmore thank you so most disney original films had no-name people who became big because of the decom exactly or one person one of the kids from one of their tv shows that was in the movie playing like as another character like Right. And it was like, guess what? We're gonna put in a movie. It's gonna star Shia LaBeouf. Like, come check out this movie with Shia LaBeouf, and he's from Even Steven. It's like a whole big deal. So this movie actually stars two of the biggest names on Disney Channel at the time, which would be Hilary Duff as the star, Cadet Kelly, mm-hmm. and Chrissy Carlson Romano as junior staff sergeant Jennifer. I can't remember her last name. Uh, Jennifer something. (laughs) And if you don't recognize either of those names, which how, um, Hilary Duff is Lizzie McGuire, Yep. Um, and she went on to do a whole bunch of stuff after Lizzie McGuire. She was in Cinderella story, she was in uh Beauty in the Briefcase, she was in a bunch of different things. A bunch. Um, and Christy Carlson
0: Romano is the big sister Wren on Even Stevens. She Oh my god, even Stevens, can we I need to pause just <laughs> just to make the statement that everyone wants to make if they've seen it, and everyone needs to hear if they haven't. Even Stevens it was one of the greatest fucking shows that's ever been put on television. Let's just let's just make that blanket statement because it's a true one. And I will stand behind it. And I'll stand behind it drunk off my ass like right now. And I'll stand behind it sober as fuck like I will be tomorrow and very upset with myself.
1: <laughs> uh, so she isn't even Stevens. She was also the voice of Kim Possible. Um, if you are online on YouTube ever, she also hosts her own like Christy Carlson Romano's Kitchen, um, where she does like recipes and stuff. She invites former Disney people on to do interviews while they make things. Uh, one of the most famous of her YouTube videos is where she invites Will Friedle on, who was the voice of Ron Possible, and they do they make a knocko when and they eat. Adele.
0: They eat nachos together, uh,
1: because... Which,
0: if you don't know the name of <coughs> Will Fridell, let's just, let's just branch out and talk about one of the other greatest TV shows that has ever been put on television, fucking Boy Meets World. Yes. Let's just fucking talk about Will fucking Fredell for maybe a second. So, That's
1: Will is best known for his role as Eric, um, the dumb brother on uh, Boy Meets World.
0: Mark.
1: The the hot but dumb brother. And he later went on to be a very big name in voice acting. He is the voice of Terry McGinnis from Batman Beyond. And mm-hmm. you will instantly recognize his voice when you hear it. It's so distinct. He was yes. also the voice of Ron Stoppable, of course. And a bunch. He's done a ton. His list of accolades or of voice acting things is
0: just insane. So Wilfred great.
1: great. Uh, but... Back to the movie, I
0: guess. All right, sorry. It's okay. It's okay. There's just so much that Even needed Stevens, to be addressed. Yeah, I know. Well, <laughs> I know. I've
1: mentioned too many people. Um, so Hillary Duff, uh, Cadet or Kelly, we'll just call her Kelly. She is an art student at the New York Junior High of the Arts, and. She loves her life in New York City. Her dad is a professional, like wildlife photographer. So he's traveling a lot and he's going all over the world. And her mom is like a lawyer, question mark? I don't really know. They don't really talk about the mom's like job for Mm. more than like 30 seconds, max, Um, but, but, Anyways, so she goes to art school, and her art school is like the most chaotic, artsy. <laughs> like, how do I describe this?
0: The the think of long like long suffering. Side. Okay, when
1: I when I say a loose art based education, think about that, and whatever like. Hippy dippy garbage comes into your brain. That's
0: what this. That's is. what
1: this is. Like, <laughs> I got nothing against hippies, but Kelly School was a fucking mess. Um, anyway, so she's in art school and she's working on like their final project of the year, and she keeps changing her mind. Like, she can't decide what she wants to do for her final project. It's like a an about you, about your family, thing. It has to be something about your family, about the real version of you and your family so she decides to change it to a documentary style that uh to a documentary about her family and she starts following around her parents and describing her life and all the things that are going on so she talks about her dad and how he's a wildlife photographer and then her mom and they're happily divorced and everything is beautiful and her life is great and then she introduces mom's boyfriend um who is known as Sir, they like never give him a real name He's just Sir And he's played By the great Gary Cole If you don't know who Gary Cole is, go watch Office Space He's the horrible boss who's like I'm gonna need you to come in on Sunday <laughs> Like, he's fucking great Wow So,
0: <laughs> I do remember that Yeah, so
1: that's the mom's boyfriend And everything. everyone's happy Even though they're divorced, everyone's happy Everything's good And Kelly's, you know, living her life Her dad goes on assignment to the jungle somewhere, and he's going to be gone for a long time. After the dad is gone, her bio dad is gone, um, mom tells her, hey, guess what? Sir proposed, and I said, yes, we're getting married. And Kelly is like, hell yeah, I'm so happy that you're happy. That's all I've ever wanted. Like, cool, we're getting a new person in the family. Like, let's invite him around some more. Like, let's, you know, let's do all these things. So some time goes by. They don't ever really specify how much time, but what I would assume is roughly the entire summer because they we don't really see anything. But the next time we see Kelly on screen, it's like the day before the wedding and her and her mom are out shopping and like prepping things. And uh, we get a glimpse of the mom and her fiance just prior to meeting Kelly inside the store where she's like dropping things off to take, to give to sir, to go take to their mm. wedding venue or whatever. And he's bugging her like, have you told her yet? Like you need to fucking tell her.
0: I remember this. And
1: she's like, I, I will, I'll tell her. I'll, I'll make sure I tell her today. Like, cause we're hanging out all day. I'll make sure to tell her. So you get kind of like, what the fuck? What's he talking about? Mm-hmm. So while they're hanging out that day, mom is like talking about all these cool things that are going to happen now that they're married. And she's like, Yeah, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. And we're going to, you know, we're going to hang out here. And we're going to do this. And it's going to be so much fun. And we're also going to move. And we're going to do this. And we're going to do that. And she's like, Kelly's just like, Oh, cool. We're going to do that. And we're going to do that. And she's like, Whoa, 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 whoa. whoa. Did you say we're fucking going to move? Because. Keep in mind, if I haven't said it already, Kelly is 13. Mm
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay? This is, like, peak my world is going to melt down if, like, shit changes at all. Mm Mm-hmm. So, her mom has to explain to Kelly that Sir has just received his next orders. He has made this promotion that he has been trying to make his entire life. Like this is the goal, the dream job for him. And he will be the commandant of a school. Um, and they're gonna move on, to live on campus at the school where he's going to be in charge of, like the principal, basically. And Kelly's like, uh, no, I'm good. Like, how about I just stay with my friend and I'll finish out school here and you guys can come visit me on the weekends and it'll be cool. Mm-hmm. And her mom's like, no, 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 You don't understand. You're
0: 13. You're coming with us. You don't think like that this what, what you're saying is strange, but it's very strange. You're not doing that. Yeah, this
1: isn't an option. Like, you, your only option is to come with right. us. You're gonna, you're gonna go. And also, you're gonna go to the school, which is a military school. And Kelly's world just basically falls apart at this moment. She's like, are you fucking kidding me? Like I go to art school and I love my school. Like right. it is perfect for me. She At the beginning, she was doing like ribbon dancing and stuff and like perfectly cool with it. It is, military school is the last place that she would get caught, like be caught dead in. So then we fast forward again um, to her first day at military school. She rolls up. She's wearing, like, this hot pink outfit. She's got this big old suitcase of, like, clothes that you would need to go if you were going to a boarding school. But not things you need at a military school, because they provide you with your uniforms and everything. And she gets to her bunk, and she's immediately just like, the fuck? She doesn't fit in, clearly. She's artsy and, you know, not cut out for military school. She doesn't know any of the rules. She doesn't understand, like...
0: I feel like most 13-year-olds are just not cut out for military school.
1: Yes, I agree. (laughs) I agree. It's not really a great place for young teens like that. Um, But she has, like... Military school is not on her radar at all. Has never been on her radar. She doesn't understand military time. She doesn't know... She doesn't want to wear the uniform like she wants to add her accessories and have her it. bracelets and her scrunchies and all these different things. And Christy Carlson Romano, who is her female staff sergeant and in charge of her dorm, is basically laying into her every chance she gets. Calling right. her a maggot. Basically, like, you're horrible. You suck. Like, get it the fuck together, Hillary Duff. Huge military like,
0: brat vibes.
1: Yeah. So you're basically you're horrible. And uh, you need to fall in line. And Kelly is pushing back every chance she gets. And because of this weird rivalry they have between them or this weird hatred thing they have between them, they are constantly making each other mad and doing things to hurt each other. Sometimes on purpose, sometimes not on purpose, but it's rough. We find out in the next scene that there is a male junior staff sergeant named Brad played by Sean Ashmore
0: Sean Ashmore
1: he's so fun cute (laughs) and the best and Jennifer Christy Carlson Romano's character really really likes him they are both the same age they're both high in rank they're together all the time because they're like the co-ed captains of all everything Mm -hmm. um and they have this really like Seemingly boyfriend girlfriend relationship, but not really. Like,
0: yeah.
1: Like Jennifer wants it clearly, and Brad's just kind of aloof. There. Like he doesn't he doesn't know what's going on. Yeah. But yeah. everyone knows that Jennifer. All the girls know that Jennifer. Like that's she's her man. Room. That's her man. Don't yeah. mess with him. And Kelly's like, oh, but what makes him her man? But are you like, like together, together? But are you like together? Because like, because <laughs> like Brad, pretty fine though. <laughs> Uh, so Kelly immediately, like, tries to get into every opening that is possible with Brad. Even though she's 13 and he's 16 in this movie. And, you know, middle school. Problematic. It's problematic. It would be problematic if Brad was, like, advancing. Oh, yeah. But he never... Like, he never is. Yeah. Brad is literally aloof to both of the girls the whole this. time. I
0: do remember this. He's he very
1: is. just like
0: cool. I'm just here. Like, he's, <laughs> he's
1: laughing. He's like laughing at the funny situations that they keep getting themselves into, right. but he's not like going for one or the other.
0: It's It's very much not a very, like, I feel like in D Comes, there's a very stereotypical, like, okay, the heartthrob is very obviously the heartthrob, and that every scene that you have with them. They're innuendoing in some way of emotionally, I should say, not sexually, but like, you know, every interaction with the love interest is kind of laden with that romanticism. And mm-hmm. I do remember from the last time I watched this, which was ridiculously too long ago, I do remember him being like that. It's very much, he, it's, dare I say realistic in the sense that he's just very much like friends with them. Yeah. And that it's very obvious that they have crushes on him. And he may or may not have crushes on either of them. Yeah. But it's not obvious enough. It's very realistic in that, that sense. Yeah.
1: So there is a dance that is coming up. It's going to be the back to school dance um and everyone's super excited for it. All the girls are like, hell yeah, I get to not wear like garbage clothes and or not garbage clothes. but I don't have to wear my uniform. I get to wear okay. something nice and you know they're like, oh my God, I get to dance with like a boy or like I get to be with the boys. It's not just like what military state stuff is this in again. New York.
0: Okay, I was gonna say they' in- they're on the West coast. they have to be in those uniforms all the goddamn time. No, they're I in upstate like- New York. Like, he's hot. I don't even care that if I get to look sexy. It's just damn hot. I don't want to wear this fucking uniform.
1: <laughs> I mean, that's the military, so yeah. <laughs>
0: um,
1: So there's a dance coming up at the end of the week or whatever, and Jennifer's like, hell yeah, Like, I'm going to talk to Brad. Like, I'm going to ask him to go to the dance with me. Like, We're going to have a great night and all these things and she's super exciting. Kelly keeps interrupting every chance she gets just to be like, hey, Brad, like, check me out. Look at all this dumb shit I can do. Um, And Brad's very much just, like, cool and, like, (laughs) doesn't care and just walks away from both of them. Yes. Um, So because of that, they get to their drills, which is this big obstacle course. If you've ever seen any type of military school, military drill, anything, Mm -hmm. you've seen one of these obstacle courses. They used to do it a lot on, on... not on Survivor, but like on shows similar to that. There used to be a lot of like where yeah. you do with like where you would do like a mud run. Like here's a bunch of obstacles like, you got to do. Um, they had to do one of those, and you know everyone else at this school seemingly has been there for quite a while, and Kelly's the only one who has never done yeah. any of these things. She doesn't know how to do any of these things, and because this hatred that Jennifer clearly has for her, no one is willing to stop and show her how to do these things because no one wants to get on Jennifer's bad side because Jennifer's the one in charge. So they're doing this obstacle course and Kelly is just fucking failing at every single thing. She can't run the tires. She can't climb a rope. She can't rappel down a thing. She can't crawl underneath the barbed wire. Like she's just trash at every single thing. So they're running the course the day of the dance, like on Friday or whatever, and Kelly is just shit at it. And she's sassing Jennifer because that's who Kelly is. She's right. like not putting up with Jennifer's like leadership, I'ma be a bitch just because I can be a bitch thing. Right. So Kelly is sassing her, and Jennifer's like, Cool. Guess what? You're running this course till you get it right.
0: Again. You're, again, you're going
1: to run this course till you do it right. And you're not going to go to the dance. Like you're going to be here all night until you get it right. And I'm, she sends like one of her lieutenants to sit there and watch her do it. And make sure she does it right. Right. Be, wait here until she's going to do it right. And the girl's like doesn't care because she wasn't going to go to the dance anyways. So she's fine with it. In this moment, Kelly is just like fucking furious because she put in a lot of work to help her new best friend Carla Uh, like, get a dress because she didn't have a dress and all these different things. And she's like, you know, she's kind of a fashionista, but not really. She's just, like, a normal, not military person. She's a normal,
0: girly 13-year-old. Yeah,
1: she's a, there you go, girly 13-year-old. Not normal, just girly. So she's, like, helping Carla, or she helped Carla earlier in the week get a dress and all these things. And so now she's disappointed she can't go. She's struggling over and over and over. It's raining now. It's nighttime. It's raining. Of so the whole course is muddy. She's trying to get through these things, and she's just like,
0: "I can't okay. do this.
1: Like I'm trying, and I fucking can't. Like we will be here for days because Waiting. I don't know how to do this.
0: And, and and the longer I try it, the more exhausted I get. Yeah, the and less the less likely it be. is I'm gonna fucking pass it. Yeah, and all sure. while this
1: is happening, she's trying to have a conversation with the lieutenant who's helping her. Um, like go through this course, Gloria. And she's talking to her, like trying to get kind of like learning. Well, she's just trying to learn about Gloria. Like she's genuinely interested in her as a person outside of the like, you can only wear these things. You can only right. be these things. And Gloria is very hesitant. She's very much treating her like mean, just as Jennifer was before. And slowly as they run through the course, A bunch of times she eventually like breaks her walls down and starts talking to her, like explain, you know, telling her why she doesn't want to go to dance and all these different things. And they start to become friends. And Gloria ends up getting on the ground and showing her how to do the crawl properly in the mud underneath the barbed wire. And Kelly gets it. And finally, she like figures out the whole course. And by the end of the night or the middle of the night, she's like ready to go. So... She's been crawling in the mud. She's super duper gross. She's still in her fatigues. And Gloria lets her go because she knows that she did the course right. So she gets up on top of this hill that's like leading towards the dance because she's going to go to the dance now, even though she's all gross. She doesn't care. But she's excited. And she gets to this top of the hill and she looks at this fucking like dance thing and she trips and rolls all the way down this big ass fucking hill.
0: Oh my God.
1: Through the doors no, that, like, swing. Uh, this
0: would not happen.
1: No, it wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> Through the doors, the swingy doors that lead to the dance. <sighs> and she's, like, on her feet now. Like, she has rolled, and she's now on her feet trying to stop herself, like, slipping. Of slipping on the floor because she's all muddy and wet and gross. Right. And she, everyone's moving out of the way, and the only person that didn't move out of the way is Jennifer in an all-white dress who catch m- catches muddy hillary duff so now jennifer you is what you now jennifer is beyond fucking pissed because she was at the dance with brad like they were together dancing or whatever when this all happened and she storms off because she's now covered in dirt mm-hmm. and kelly just like hi everyone like she made a big entrance into the party and she's like hey cool dance and like whatever she doesn't care
0: you gotta own it. You just gotta own it.
1: Yeah. Uh, the next day, she gets up and she receives a letter from the commandant, telling her that he needs, she needs to meet him in his office. So the principal, basically, uh, of course, which is her stepdad.
0: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. So uh. he
1: finds out, you know, the all the things that are happening. And he says, basically, you're on thin fucking ice. Like, what are this you is, gonna
0: do? You, we're here. This is your fucking I'm sorry. We're already in military school. Yeah, I don't mean to, I don't mean to disrupt the story. But yeah, what are you gonna fucking do? But
1: basically. You're on thin ice and I can't, like, I can't protect, I'll protect you this one time, but I can't keep protecting you because it will show favoritism and that'll get me kicked out of my job, which I have been working my entire career for.
0: Good, send me back to regular uh, fucking damn school in this area, anywhere, (laughs) literally anywhere other than this fucking school.
1: But she is starting to feel like...
0: It's a big. She's, she's finally 13, figuring it out. And yeah. So it's a thing because it's a thing. She's figured it out because I can't do it now. I have to do it. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. yeah. 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 That
1: happens, and because she got sent to the commandant's office and in trouble, or yeah, because she she's just like super upset. Next day there's like bunk checks every morning, and then she goes back to the room and there's bunk checks because every morning there's bunk checks. They have to be wearing their uniform exactly right. Their beds have to be made exactly right and all these different things. Um, Now, I forgot to mention on the very first day that Kelly got there during the bunk check, she had laid out this like rainbow blanket that she had brought from home and she was super like excited about and Christy Carlson Romano's character had gotten mad at her for having that out and was like, I don't want to see this again. This is a piece of crap. She throws it on the ground and like stomps on it. Like, this is a ratty piece of shit. Throw it away. And Kelly is just like, you're a bitch, basically. Like, in her mind, you could see it on her face. Like, you're a fucking bitch. But she didn't do anything because... It's a decom. It's a decom. They didn't didn't
0: curse, but everyone knows what was happening in her head was, you're a bitch. (laughs) Yeah.
1: So the next scene is like, Right after the beginning of the movie is Hilary Duff like shoving it under her pillow. She sleeps with it basically shoved underneath her pillow as like a comfort. Mm -hmm. So now we're at this bed check part and she has it shoved under her pillow. But there's a little corner of it sticking out. And Christy Carlson Romano pops up. Christy Carlson Romano pops up and she's like, "I, you know, will we have any more fucking problems? Like what's going on? Are we done? Um... And she's like, yeah, I promise. Like, Kelly's like, yeah, I'm not going to start anything. We're good. I promise my bunk is in order. My uniform is in order. Like, I'm good. We're good to go now. And she goes to walk away and she notices out of the corner of her eye the blanket sticking out from underneath her pillow. So she goes and grabs it and she's like, what the fuck? Mm-hmm. So she grabs the blanket and she rips it up Ew. into pieces. Oh, oh. It was so. Like 2021 me, 2021 me is looking at this like I would have fucking smacked a bitch down. Like even if that blanket was just a cheap thing that like some random person, one random friend of mine handed to me, you do not have the right to destroy my fucking property. Shut up! Like I will fucking murder you. So she rips up this blanket in front of all of the cadets who are all of the female cadets who are standing there, and Kelly is just like silently crying absolutely. like absolutely destroyed and is like fucking fine okay yeah cool so the next that Some night
0: Rama
1: that of course it's now payback payback time so that night everyone's asleep kelly wakes up in the middle of the night and she goes to get out of her bed and carla tries to stop her because she's right next to her and is like hey don't like you've already started enough shit don't
0: no no it's out of my hands now. And Kelly's just <laughs> Kelly's just like
1: I I will be right back. It's it is, okay, I got to go. It is the rules. It I is gotta, the rules go. of life. So Kelly sneaks into Jennifer's bunk room or her private like junior captain's room and paints her hair. Hell yeah. Like rainbow color with these acrylic paints that will not come out. Hell yeah. Yeah, so paints her fucking hair. The next morning, she gets up, and everyone is laughing at her, but she doesn't know why, because she just got out of bed, and they don't have mirrors in their personal rooms. It's only in the, like, shared bathroom. So yeah. she gets up, she's walking through the hall, and everyone, all the girls are laughing at her, and she's like, what the fuck? And she picks up her pace, starts to run, gets to the bathroom, and screams. And the whole fucking school can hear it, of course, because that's how it works. This causes severe problems, because... <laughs> Kelly receives a second letter. Oh, no. From the principal. Now she has been court martialed. Oh. At Jesus. military school.
0: She's 13 years old. She's been court martialed, for God's sake. So. Oh, my God.
1: Basically, they hold a hearing where Kelly and. A
0: hearing!
1: It's, a, it's like a student run hearing that. Whatever the verdict is uh, based on the hearing from the students... Will be adhering we, to we'll fourth or whatever? No, will be passed on to the commandant, and the commandant gets to decide the punishment that whatever fits... Whatever he thinks fits the crime. Okay. So... Jennifer's reading off this long ass list of things that Kelly has done, including like Pissed ruining her, ruining her white dress and like not sh- wearing the right clothes to checks and having the the blanket on her bed for bed Being checks and doing ugly, all these dumb things.
0: Because we're children.
1: And Sean Ashmore's character, uh, Brad, he is like the judge because he's the most senior officer. And he is just like, and what else? And he's like egging her on to show the hair off. So he gets her to take off her hat and show off her multicolored hair. And everyone's kind of just snickering. And Kelly's trying to like apologize to everyone except for Jennifer for wasting their time. Right. Like, I'm sorry we to have to be To perfectly be
0: perfectly honest, Ace move, I'd be doing the same fucking thing. I'd be like... This is fucking ridiculous. We're children. This is not a court martial. We are not the fucking U.S. Army. Like, calm the fuck down. I painted this bitch's hair rainbow. She'll be fine. It'll wash out. Hair yeah. grows back. Everything's fucking fine. Yeah, it'll wash out. So, at the end of the,
1: like, little jury thing, um, they find Kelly guilty, of course. Of course. So, they, she gets sent to the commandant, and she has to... I know
0: I was just She gets there. in trouble. She gets in trouble. But um
1: I'm bad. So the commandant, her stepdad, in a in their previous conversation had like beamed about their rifle squad. Mm. Their color guard essentially, and how when he was on it back in the 70s, like they got third place and that was the highest the school's ever ranked and they never did anything after that. Because Kelly keeps making these offhanded comments of how stupid the rifles are Mm. and how she's anti-gun and like (laughs) which makes sense because she's a hippie. So.
0: She's also a smart person.
1: Yes. So the commandant's like okay I have your punishment you will be working scut for the drill team. Meaning she has to shine their shoes make sure their uniforms are spotless, make sure everything is ironed, make sure all their equipment is perfect and ready to go for all of these competitions that they're going to have. So she's like, fuck, that sucks, but sure, like, I, I'll take the punishment, I want to do better, I don't want you to get in trouble on my behalf, like, that's fine, let's do it. So she goes to the drill team, she starts showing up to the drill team practices, and she makes friends with Brad because Brad is teaching her how to clean things like with spit. You gotta spit shine shoes, spit of course. Spit
0: shine. So they're like... Wow. She's
1: trying to flirt with him, but nothing, you know, he's just being a genuinely nice dude. Yeah. And she gets real... She takes her job really serious. She, this is like the turning point for Hillary Duff where she's like, okay, I get it. I fucked up. Right. And like, even though Jennifer's a bitch, like... I don't want to fuck this up for anyone else. These
0: are also consequences. Like, at this point now, she's seeing consequences of her attitude. Yeah. You, that just is... It's going to naturally curtail it for her. Yeah. Like, I don't want to have to be fucking dealing with this all the time. Yeah. So, you know what? No. The next time I want to fucking mouth off, it's not worth it. I don't want to have to fucking deal with this shit again, basically. Yeah.
1: So, after... I don't know how much time goes by, really, because it's just kind of all blurred. They blur it together. So there's no you don't get to see a true passage of time. But there's several rehearsal or practices that she goes to. And then there's a drill team um, meet, I guess it would be, where another school comes, uh, which is like their rival school, and they have a drill match. Their school goes... And Kelly's like, okay, I kind of like this is pretty cool. I can I can get into this. And then the other team goes, and she's like, holy fuck, that is amazing. They're way better. Like that was fucking cool. And then there's the exhibition part of the drill team thing, and they don't show anything at this moment for her school. They only show the other school's exhibition thing, which is two girls doing essentially a step routine. With fancy hand claps and feet movement and all these cool things that blows Kelly's school out of the water, essentially. Yeah. They get destroyed by this Marine's school. They are all, like, super just let down at the end of the meet. They're like, fuck, we sucked. Like, mm-hmm. what are we going to do Jennifer comes in and is just berating everyone like we, you, we need to try harder we need to work harder we need to practice more we need to do this we need to do that and Brad is like no, no 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 that's not what we need we practice just as good as them we're just as good as they are when it came down to drill stuff it was the extra exhi- exhibition stuff that we don't have we need more creativity flowing in this like whole thing and he dismisses the team so the whole squad goes except for Hillary Duff Because she sees Brad, like, just sitting there kind of sad and, like, trying to think about what to do. Mm -hmm. And she just starts doing, like, a weird interpretive dance thing with one of the rifles. um, Because, you know, she went to a hippy-dippy school where that was literally what they fucking did for grades. Mm -hmm. So so she just starts doing this stupid, (laughs) stupid (laughs) dance. Just to make him laugh like right. she's just trying to make like pick his spirits up and she's like he's laughing but he's like you know what I like your spunk like that's that. like we I need to that. do we need to do some more shit like that and in that moment Kelly is like you know what I'm fucking trying out for the drill team let's fucking go. Mm-hmm. She asked Gloria to help her like learn how to do the rifle maneuvers in the work which is Standard color guard stuff. It's not anything you wouldn't see at a any band competition, any color guard competition you've ever been to in your life. Right. Football game, whatever, that you've ever seen. And they work nonstop for question mark amount of days until Kelly like can do all the tosses and throws and spins. After that, there is a tryout to join the team or to join the squad. And Kelly makes it. Hooray! Later that day, she bumps into Jennifer. Jennifer is out in the field area and she's practicing her exhibition. She does a solo exhibition, which is why we didn't see it earlier in the movie because it was just like a solo thing. And she's doing like the hand moves and the stomps and stuff all by herself. Kelly walks up to her and starts copying her, like move for move, matching her at every step. And then they start doing this weird, horrible step fight dance battle like the whitest white girl <laughs> dance battle you've ever seen in your life
0: amazing like
1: like think about julia styles doing that hip-hop ballet routine at the end of uh what is it? save the last dance oh my
0: god and how
1: horrible it is this is like three times the cringe
0: amazing that
1: it saved the last dances it is fucking a shit show but they just are... They keep Mate. going at it. for. It's like a solid five minutes, okay? Or maybe it just felt like that because it just went on for so long. Fucking long. For so long. So they're doing this, like, step battle, like, whatever, with their arms and faces. <laughs> they're and They're so into it, <laughs> and they're it. mean-mugging each other because they fucking hate <laughs> each other. Guess who fucking notices them, like, is a, on the field and sees them do this? Brad. Brad is like... Hold the fucking phone, y'all. That's what our team needs.
0: That's the greatest thing I've ever seen. That is exactly
1: what our fucking team needs. You guys are partners now. And Jennifer's like, no, but this was my solo exhibition. Like, no, 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 no. No, Kelly's not joining us. That's not what we're doing. And Brad's like,
0: yes, she is. This was perfect.
1: Y'all need to do some dumb shit like this. Figure it out. So then they become friends ish Uh, and work on this routine. They're constantly working on this routine. We don't ever see them working, but we know that they have been working. Leading up to the big competition. There's like a huge competition where a whole bunch of different military schools are coming, like one from every branch. So there's five different schools there. So they show up. They're all hyped. And like, yes, this is going to be great. Just before the competition, uh, Kelly's dad comes home from his like abroad trip and is like yeah i came home like guess what i got a new job where i'm gonna do go do shooting on this like rock face um that's right near here like i'm gonna go do that early tomorrow morning and then at 11 you know i'll be at the thing at your meet so i can watch you do your thing like i'm super hyped and she's like fucking cool great i can't wait i love you so much this is gonna be exciting. Her mom also surprises her at the meet with bringing her best friend from her other school in. And Hillary or Kelly makes a mistake in calling her like, hey, guys, guess what? This is my like a best and whatever friend forever. And it hurts Carla's feeling because Carla is now working the scut job. And they go to get ready for the actual competition. They get dressed. They're sitting around waiting and the other drill teams are going on. And Kelly is nervously looking at the stands. She's looking at her watch, looking at the stands, looking at her watch, looking at the stands. At first, it's 1105. Then it's 1110. And then they're waiting to go. They're like waiting their turn in the wings. And her phone rings. And she's like, holy shit. Like, this is the phone my dad called me on. Mm -hmm. Nobody ever calls me on any like, no one else ever calls me. It's only my dad. This is how we get in contact with each other. Um, I have to take this. So she takes it, and she hears her dad's voice. Like, he says her name, Kelly, and then nothing else. And, and then it just cuts out. And she's like, fuck. And everyone else on the team is upset at her now because her phone went off, and it could have gone off when they were on the floor. Right. Which would have immediately disqualified them because it's fucking military school. Right. So she's like, you guys don't understand, like, this is, you know, this is I a one-time thing, like, my dad never calls me, he's supposed to be here, this, you know, she's starting to freak, she's starting to panic. So For she sure. turns her phone on silent, and they go and wait, they go stand in the wings and wait. Uh, the commandant comes down, they all, you know, tense up, get set to attention because he's down, and he wishes them luck, and like, go get him, like, we're gonna do great, you guys are great. And he sees Kelly doesn't move. She's just sitting there, like looking at her watch, looking at the wing, at the rafters, looking at or the bleachers, looking at her watch, looking at the bleachers. And she is shaken, visibly shaken, and like about to cry. Mm-hmm. And the commandant, who has been basically horrible at reading emotions so far, Kelly has made mention of this several times when talking about him. Like he's not yeah. ready to be a dad, even though their mom is her mom is pregnant now. At this moment he finally kind of breaks down his like I'm a hard ass wall and it's like something wrong with her. It's like what is going on? Like your your head is not in it. Like what what's happening right now? And she's like she explains the situation. My dad is never late. He would never miss something like this. Something is wrong. Like he tried to call me earlier but I didn't hear him and or like he didn't answer like the the call got cut off the commandant's like are you sure how do you, like how do you know and he's like i she says i don't know how i know i just do i promise something is wrong and he's like well do you want to go do you want to leave I'm like are you, but like let's go And she's like, no, I need to stay for my team. I need to, like, I can't let my team down. I can't let you down. I can't do that to anyone. Like, I have to be here for this. The team's already mad at me because I answered the phone. Like, I can't do that to them. And the commandant's like, yes, you have a duty to your team, but you also have a duty to your father. And let's go. So him and Kelly get up and leave. Then... Her team is up, and of course she's nowhere to be found. Right. So a whole leg of her team, like a whole squad of four people, don't get to perform because with her out of the lineup, it just makes everything messes everything, messes everything up. up. So her squad is out, but the other teams go and they do okay. They're, it wasn't perfect, but it was like it was fine. just fine. Yeah. It was good. Um, and this is all happening while. The Commandant and Kelly are racing up to this place where her dad was taking pictures earlier that day. They come across her dad's camera bag, which is sitting there, and her dad is nowhere to be found, They're just shouting for her dad. Nothing. They go to the cliff edge, where he was supposedly shooting, and look down, and he is laying on a rock, just like busted as fuck. Kelly and the Commandant have brought they brought supplies cuz they're fucking military like they brought right. a whole survival pack thing with them and kelly is like let's fucking go i will rappel down and i will take mm-hmm. care i will do what needs to be done and the commandant is like N- like no i can't let you do that you know you're only 13 and you all these things like let child. like let me do it i'll do it and she's like you're too mm-hmm. heavy i can't pick you up I'm the only choice. Mm -hmm. Like, it has to be me because you can pick me back up when it's time to get picked up. But I can't pick you up if you rappel down. Right. She repels down and is tending to her father. And he calls ambulance or, like, military whoever and gives them the exact coordinates. They end up getting out there and rescuing her dad, basically. Her dad ends up on a stretcher. They take him out and... Kelly and the Commandant end up sharing a hug, which mm. is the first time they've ever hugged in the movie because finally, like, this crazy shit, like, they got through this crazy shit of a day, yeah. basically. Like, they got through it together. And then they go back to the thing because they can't go to the hot, there's nothing to do. Right. Like, they can't help the dad at all anymore. Right. So they go back to the gym where the things are happening and they show back up. To, for her to perform her thing with uh, Jennifer. Everyone on her drill team is fucking right. pissed at her. Da because fuck. she just disappeared. And no one heard anything. Like her mom and her best friend were in the crowd like looking for her during the drill thing and didn't yeah. know where they are. Because uh, mistake one, Commandant, you have to tell the mom when you take the right. kids right. somewhere.
0: Right, hey. Up. I'm going to like go save your ex-husband with your daughter. Yeah. I'll be right back. Deuces.
1: Yeah. yeah. You can't <laughs> just like kidnap a kid. Like that's not things. But anyways. So they show back up and Kelly's like trying to explain herself. Um, Not really explain herself, but trying to apologize. Right. She doesn't want to be like, but this happened and this happened and this. This. Came I don't up. have
0: time for the fucking details. I just need y'all to know yeah. that fucking. I did it for a
1: reason. I'm here now. Well, she's she doesn't even do that. She's not even trying to make excuses or say anything yeah. about what happened. She's just basically like, like, I'm sorry that I left. It was I had to go, but I'm here now. Exactly. I'm ready. I'm ready to perform and all these things. And Jennifer is just like, bitch. What? Like fucking no. I hate you so much right now. And the commandant rolls up and he's like, Cadet Kelly and I had to go run an errand. She's, you know, it was on my orders. It was, I was, there's nothing that you guys could have done. Like it was, I had to take her out and I'm sorry for that. And he apologizes on her behalf. And everyone's like, oh. The (laughs) commandant had to do it. Well. That changes literally everything. Okay, okay. She's cool now. Um, and... After she gets the approval, the okay from the team, and they stop being super pissed at her, she goes and finds Carla and apologizes and explains. It's not that my friend from home right. is my best like friend. I've just she's known not her longer. Than you.
0: Exactly. Yeah,
1: she's not a better friend than you. I've just known her longer. It's a different and, relationship. Yeah, and Carla kind of forg- Carla forgives her and they're back to being friends. And then it's time for Fucking Cadet Kelly and Jennifer's interpretive so dance. It's so bad. Step routine.
0: I already know it's bad.
1: Um
0: <laughs> The face, if you could see your face.
1: It is a fucking train wreck. <laughs> it's a train wreck, guys. I can't even like okay, for the purposes of this movie and like the plot of the movie, right. they they did they great. great or whatever. They yeah. did great Um, they brought the team, the team was, like, at six points down, and they brought the team back, like, they got a whole bunch of points for the team, so good for them, and all this stuff, but it is the widest white, like, dance thing you've ever seen, and they had, like, ribbon dancing in it, and it was just, like, (laughs) like, do do yourselves a favor, please, and get on Disney Plus, (laughs) find Cadet Kelly. And go to the last I'm about like to watch this shit. go to the last like ten minutes. I would say is probably where the dance thing is. The last ten minutes of the movie, and just watch this fucking dance. Like it will change your life. I
0: remember. I can. I have images in my head of like what they're doing. Oh this no! This is very not good. Oh, this is no. just very not cool. None yeah. of none of it is cool. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so they do their dance. <laughs> and it's fucking great. They're like smiling at each other. Everyone's happy. They finish their dance. They get a bunch of points. Everyone's excited. And then it's time for the awards ceremony. The award ceremony happens. They announce third place and it goes to like the Navy school I think. And then they announce first place because you don't announce second place. You only announce first because what's the fucking point? Right. And
0: first place ends up going. And everyone knows who second is. Yeah. When there's only two left and well, they were announced well first it was kind of dumb
1: actually the way they did it because there was five schools so it's like why wouldn't you just announce three two one but whatever yeah, yeah. so they announced the first place winner and it's their rival uh, but second place ends up going Stadium. to their school which is one step high the highest, high, they the highest yeah. they've ever had and everyone's have everyone's kind of happy it's like mixed emotions some of them are really happy some yeah. of them are kind of sad that like they didn't win all the way. Um, but everyone's like, it's cool.
0: It's very much a bring it on second place. Hell yeah. Yeah.
1: So Kelly goes out of her way to find Jennifer and is like, you know, I'm sorry that we didn't win. I know that it's my fault cause I wasn't there. Um, but next year we will win. Like we are going to win next year. Me and you our routine thing is going to be fucking amazing. Like let's fucking go. And Jennifer has to say, has to tell her like, well, Next year, it's going to be you and somebody else because I'm not going to be here next year because I my dad got new moving. orders and we're moving. So I'm not going to be here next year, but you're going to do great. So it left it open for a sequel, but they never made a sequel because it wasn't a great movie. So <laughs> that was uh, Cadet Kelly. Oh,
0: man.
1: Um, she saved her dad. She rescued the team, brought him all the way up to second place. So some fun trivia or a couple of trivia things about this movie um sean ashmore played brad had to attend military school for three months uh and had to take voice lessons to be able to project as a cadet major he
0: had to take voice lessons oh poor kid that means he probably is very soft-spoken i yeah i'm side-eyeing that, that because
1: like this week <laughs> But that's just cuz I'm loud as fuck. Like, yeah. I, I do I say, have never had a problem projecting my say, voice.
0: I was always very like Soft-spoken. everyone every, li- no, I was literally the opposite. Growing up, I was always told like, Samantha, you need to shut the fuck up. I mean, and that makes sense
1: cuz you grew up in my shadow and I was very loud, so.
0: And and I, then I was a theater kid, so I was always learning projection and all that shit. But even in that, I was loud. So like when I was a kid, I was always constantly told that and I couldn't understand because I'm like, I'm not trying to be loud. And then as you become an adult and you are more around, and especially when I was like, when I went to Hollywood and like met a whole diverse population of kids trying to get into it, you hear the different levels. There are some people that like, just aren't that yeah. And it's and it's not anything to do with like their their strength like as a character yeah. in and of yeah. themselves or anything. There are people that are just not as loud as us.
1: Yeah. Sean Ashmore it's is one of very those people. It's fucking
0: strange. Yeah. When <laughs> I
1: read that fun fact I was like, bro, what? <laughs> like I couldn't imagine taking I've never been told, like, you need to project more. Like, maybe... The opposite. Maybe in choir when I have to sing, be- only because my voice is weaker than some of the other singers, because I'm not a singer, but that's the only instance where I've ever been told to project more, because I am loud I've as fuck nev- when I need I've to be.
0: literally never been told, I need to hear you more. I've literally always been told, like, okay, Smithy you can tone down. Just a little bit. Just bring it down a little bit. <laughs>
1: Okay, so the other fun fact about this movie is that the ages of the actors and the ages of the characters have nothing to do with each other. Nope. Um, As is true with most Hollywood films about teenagers, because as it turns out, 13-year-old kids are not great.
0: They're children.
1: They're children. They can only work on set for limited amounts of time, and they look like little kids. They don't look like teenagers, quote-unquote. Even, you know, 15, 16-year-olds, like, trying to be 15, 16-year-olds, look little. Like, they just look little. So, Hollywood... That's fine,
0: because that's what they are.
1: Yes. In the movie, Kelly is 13, but at the time of filming, Hilary Duff was 15. So, not a huge gap.
0: That is actually very good.
1: Yeah, cool. not a huge gap, time. but different. Yes. I think she was actually 13 when she started filming Hillary or Lizzie McGuire, Lizzie McGuire. which is where she's 13 as well, where yeah, she starts yeah, as 13. Yeah. So that one was, like, accurate, Very and then accurate. at 15. Which
0: I think actually is why Lizzie McGuire is such a good Why it show. fucking
1: stands up. Same as Boy Meets World. Like, it's genuinely, like, exactly. that kid at that age. They're them, exactly. Yeah. Um, but the older characters are not... So Jennifer Stone is supposed to be sixteen, and Brad is also sixteen. So both of the, whatever they are, the older people are supposed to be sixteen. Christy Carlson Romano at the time of filming was eighteen, so not a huge gap, but a significant.
0: Slight... The older you get in teens, the more significant that gap is for sure. Yeah,
1: the definitely a difference in a sixteen body type and an eighteen for a fe- yeah. for a female, and then. For Sean Ashmore, he was actually twenty-three at the Jesus. time of filming. Jesus! So shut up. So that is why there is never an instance of actual flirting coming from Brad's character because he is Disney twenty-three. Didn't want to get
0: fucking sued. Yeah,
1: they learned Except their mistakes from Blank Check. I
0: was. Just, I was you literally read my mind. I was about to say. Yeah. Like, they were like, listen, we fucking... We fucked We're lucky up. We in Blank Check up. that nothing happened. We gotta make sure that we never get close to that ever again. Yeah. Other things
1: I noticed about this movie. So, not fun facts, but things that I noticed as an adult with the experiences that I have experienced. Now, for... Anyone who is new to Allentown Presents. Hi, my name is Katie. <laughs> I am a huge alcoholic. fucking band nerd. Hi and Katie. an alcoholic, kind of, I guess. I'm <laughs> um, a light alcoholic and a huge fucking band nerd. So uh, I started playing the trumpet in fifth grade, and I have never stopped. Mm-hmm. Um I actually have a... Can't stop, won't stop. Can't stop, won't stop. Yes. Rockefeller Records, baby. I've been playing for 25 years almost. Like an insane amount of time. And in that time, I have done a lot of marching band, as it turns out. Uh, My career goal in college originally was to become a high school band director where i would be teaching marching band and for those of you who don't know anything about marching band it has to do with color guard as well it is
0: a both they're very intricately they are
1: yeah they are intricately laced it marching band is not only a an aural art form where you like with your ears that you're hearing, it is also a visual art form yes. very much. And it's not only driven by the things that the band is doing on the field, but very much so by the color guard and the things that they are doing on the field to add to the performance. So a lot of times when people think about color guard, they're only thinking about like flags um, and the pretty colors that are waving on the field as whatever music is playing underneath them. But color garden marching band actually came from military bands mm-hmm. and came from this idea in like this thing in cadet kelly that is a drill team it very much came from the military because they used they still do have competitions where people are throwing around rifles and doing all these cool things. A very famous example in Hollywood of this happening would be the end of the movie Major Pain. Yes. They do the same type of drill team thing. In that movie, they use actual looking rifles. I don't think they're real, like the props probably weren't real, but they look like real rifles. In this movie, they look like marching man rifles, which are wood and have plastic covering on them, plastic plating on them to make them look uh, like semi-more they're loaded or realistic. what, semi more realistic and it's all for show and I say all of that giving you guys all my background on this to say that you this trust her. movie did a horrible fucking job <laughs> at hiring kids or actors who could do these things Yeah. I feel like they sent these kids, like, put these kids through a boot camp of, like, learning how to throw rifles and stuff, and they figured it out. Like, they learned the routine. But this was not, like, they were like, their all right, thing. you're
0: good to go, ready to film.
1: Well, it's really unfortunate because the actual rifle work in this film is pretty impressive and really well choreographed and together. Yeah. But. None of these people can march in a straight line. Mm-hmm. Which is like 101 a, basics. You like, learn
0: that before you learn anything. You else. start learning
1: that in seventh grade, mm-hmm. like sixth grade at some places, before they even put flags and rifles and sabers into anyone's hands. Like, the fact that these people in this fucking movie could not stay in step or stay in line was absolutely appalling to mm-hmm. me. And, I will forever say this, please, Hollywood, hire me to be your fucking <laughs> consultant. Your, I want to I be... I am for sale. <laughs> I have a fucking dream of being an, an instrumental music consultant for
0: Hollywood. Amazing.
1: Now, this sounds idiotic, but it would save a lot of fucking musicians a lot of strife when they watch movies that have anything to do with music. And I know... Many of you are probably thinking who gives a shit? Not many not that many people Lots are of musicians. People do, but you would be shocked at how many of your friends Lots of notice though. the things that are wrong in movies that they do with music. Like people holding instruments wrong. People blowing into the wrong part of an instrument. <laughs> instruments not having mouthpieces on them. Correctly. Like people not being in straight lines like in Cadet Kelly. Like just hire me, Hollywood. You can create a, an entirely new position just for me, and I—I so will fix. I will go through and fix every production in Hollywood <laughs> with proper hand holding for all the instruments, proper finger placement, right. pr- like proper movement for all of these things. Like that's all I want, and all of my music friends. Want that, too. Like, they would also take the job. Just right. some, get fucking somebody. because Anyone. Because mm. y'all just fucking around out here. Like, nobody's gonna notice. <laughs> but people fucking notice.
0: And you don't have any excuse. You're a fucking multi-billion slash trillion slash however Gazillion fucking ridiculously yeah. rich corporation you are. You got no goddamn excuse. Yeah. You have... The means and the money to find somebody to be able to fix this shit for you at this point. Yep. No
1: excuse. Seriously. Like, a thousand dollars and a sandwich. (laughs) I would fix all of your fucking problems. A thousand dollars and a sandwich. More if the movie is specifically about a person playing an instrument. But... If it's just like an offhand thing, $1,000 in a sandwich. That's not a big part of your budget. That's like no. 0. 000 000 000 000 infinite zeros one percent of a Marvel movie budget. Like, yeah, just fucking funny. hire me. Not that Marvel uses instruments, but any other fucking movie, like, sign me up. I will fucking take care of it, and I will help you, because clearly the, like, third grader you ta- got to teach people how to hold a violin is not cutting it, okay? <laughs> <laughs> fucking hire me.
0: She's so pressed.
1: I am. This is lic- <laughs> this is lic- I've been saying this for literally over a decade. I'm like, can we just like somebody hire me, please? Because this is a fucking atrocious. It's atrocious. Call. I am waiting for the call. You can hit me up at Allentown.com <laughs> on Twitter. Uh, at Allentown Presents at gmail.com what? or at our Facebook at Allentown Presents. You can't okay, r- sign me up.
0: Wait, you can't roll out the credits before we do the seven words.
1: That's not the credits. I'm just telling people to hit me up for this job. I want to fucking give me this job.
0: Okay. I am waiting. I will uh, have the sandwiches delivered.
1: <laughs> yes, sandwiches. Not Subway. That's cheating. No, absolutely. That's not a fucking the sandwich. Fuck Get out of here. It's not even bread. Question mark? What is that? Qu-
0: question? Question mark? Question mark? Question mark? Yeah,
1: gross. Okay, not Subway. Better, better s- bread than that. Oh, I right. Require. Bread. You can make me your own
0: sandwich. Yep. I would appreciate that much more than Subway. Absolutely.
1: Okay, so uh, now that I've gotten off of that soapbox <laughs> tirade, sorry. You're my bad totally uh, It's w-
0: usually me So I feel like at this point Our listeners are probably very refreshed They were, like, they were ready <laughs> For once it's Katie that is ranting Drunkenly yeah. for such a long time <laughs> Yes Okay seven word synopsis on f- Fables A woman's Life Don't revolve around Men Fantastic God damn it fantastic period
1: <laughs> oh my gosh horny pedophiles and the patriarchy or horny those pedophiles <laughs> you and you. the I'm patriarchy some more fingers on there you are like an octuplet I hand know right those there. bad i started counting syllables and then i got confused okay <laughs> uh, <laughs> horny pedophiles <laughs> and The patriarchy fucking suck. (laughs) Yes. Okay, seven word synopsis. Cadet Kelly. Shit. You gotta go first on this
0: one. I have it in my head. I just have to remember it.
1: Okay. White girls do whitest dance. Win prize.
0: Stop trying to make the military cool. It ain't.
1: Yup. (laughs) <laughs> this, this was definitely, like, almost military propaganda. Like, she Please goes stop. fucking through it. So, like, they treat her like shit. And I remember watching this film as a kid Wait. and thinking, there's no fucking way I would go to the military. Absolutely like, the
0: I, fuck not.
1: 13! Like, 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 aside from just the general, like, the military's not for me, the things that Kelly goes through and has to be put through th- from Jennifer was only, like, just proved to me that I could not handle military school. I, could, like, at the time, at 13, when this was all happening, because it came out the same time when What's I saying? was the same age. I'm the same age as Hilary Duff. So. <clears throat>
0: spoiler alert. Spoiler
1: alert. When this was happening to her, like, my reaction to the things that were happening were much, much different, even as a child. Like. Yeah. Yeah. I can handle I guess being called like a maggot as like a no. you know you're a lower class person because you that's just how it how the ranking system is I get that but the second that bitch put hands on my blanket we would have fucking been in a fight fight like it wouldn't Perfect. have been it wouldn't have been oh let me just silently cry and stand here while you ruin you my don't possessions catch my shit, first like of all. you don't know who gave me that blanket it could be like my dead grandma from who died 20 years ago. Like you don't fucking know. Don't put your hands on my shit, cause I will fucking murder you. Kill you. Like dead. I'll get kicked out D- of military D- school. Dead. I don't care. You're dead, bitch. Yes. Like we we. I'm not playing <laughs> around. We're not fucking playing <laughs> we're around. Throwing here. Hands. We're throwing hands. It's going down. This is just <sighs> proof that I could not handle. Yeah. At the at specifically at 13, could not have handled military school. For I couldn't sure handle it now, cause I'm and out of shape.
0: But For sure, same. And I have
1: no desire. America has desire. a
0: really, really bad habit of jerking off the fucking military complex. Yeah, we have a fucking
1: hard-on for the military, and it's w- disgusting. Want,
0: want children as young as fucking possible to want the military, and I'm not about it. No one needs to be about it. It doesn't need to be fucking happening. It shouldn't be fucking happening, because uh, it's not cool. So stop trying to make the military cool. Yeah. Is the moral of that story.
1: Yeah. I have one more. I had another one. Nice. Uh, Bonus. Yeah. Learn how to dress your fucking lines. Nice. So, <laughs> from my rant earlier, people being able to stand in formations and walk and have the same step size... And stay in a straight line. That is what it's called. It's I called can do it. Because dressing your lines.
0: I um, am in a regular high school's band. You at a military school can motherfucking definitely do it.
1: Absolutely. <laughs> um, there are literally twelve-year-olds across the world who can fucking do this and do it. Better. Fucking perfectly. There's no reason <laughs> for this military school to have been so bad. Such an atrocious shit show.
0: This has been real lit. <laughs> yes. We are Katie and Sam. You should uh, continue listening. If you enjoyed any aspect of today's episode, you can do that listening by uh, following anywhere you listen to podcasts. We're everywhere. Presents allentown presents we are hashtag real it anytime you want to talk about us on social media allentown presents is a network that has a bunch of other wonderful podcasts that you should also listen to spooky movie squad 20 minutes at the bar spotlight series we've got a lot
1: we've got a lot we do so much shit
0: make sure that you use the hashtags real lit when you are talking about us or the hashtag literaturely because um, no one else would ever have that hashtag except for us, so you might as well use it because it's very obviously about us. It's how an
1: English person says literally. (laughs) Literaturely. Sorry. Wow. I'm just kidding.
0: (laughs) I feel hate-crimed right now and violated. (laughs)
1: In so many ways. It's because of a meme I saw. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> About um, how people say, uh, what is it? I'm from, no, I'm British. And like, I'm, like, Bri- take out the T. Oh,
0: it's the, the glottal stop. Yeah. Um, it's a certain, it's certain regions in Britain. Oh, I know, I know, Britain I know. That I know. Do that. But it was
1: a whole meme of, like, things that English people say, and they had, like, taken out letters to give the glottal stop. And it's yes. just,
0: like, it makes me laugh. Um... She said them earlier, but she'll say them again. Yes. All the ways you can get in contact.
1: Check us out on Twitter. We are at Pod. You can check us out on Facebook at Allentown Presents. You can email us if you have any questions, comments, concerns, whatever you want to say to us at AllentownPresents at gmail.com.
0: If you want to make sure that we continue to grow and you want to boost us, the best way to do that is to leave us a review and a rating on whatever uh, podcast app or uh, program or website that you are listening to us on. It lets the Bebop computers know that we are worth boosting and worth uh, shoving into everyone else's faces out there with their fun little algorithms. So if you are so inclined, please leave us a rating slash review slash both and yeah shout out
1: to uh susan dorta for our awesome artwork you can check her work out at susandorta.com S u s a n d o r t a dot com. so thank you so much susan we love you thank you so much for listening to real lit we love you guys too Woo. and we will see you very soon with another episode quite soon bye, bye. bye.